0: Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. This week, we will be taking a look in honor of James Gunn's recent release, The Suicide Squad. We're going to look back at a pretty big DC miss, I think most people would say. And that is Suicide Squad without the the from 2016, uh, directed by David Ayer. And a, a sort of key point, a turning point, if you will, in the DC Universe approach. Um, so uh, joining me, as always, is...
1: Catherine.
0: My sister. And uh, I'm your amiable co-host, Tim, of course. And this one's going to be interesting because um, we have a, a pretty storied history. I mean, we've talked about comic book movies on this, this podcast a bunch, but we have a pretty storied history with the DC Universe. You are actually the person that I saw Man of Steel with when it came out which was the the initial strains of dc attempting to mm. christopher nolanize the dc universe because uh, those had done so phenomenally well Ooh. even though dark even though dark Knight rises is seen as a pretty big pretty big whoopsie by a lot of people uh it's fine i i don't hate that movie but it is not one that i go to pretty regularly those didn't feel just like wanna. a
1: cinematic universe in any way
0: no, Nolan's films are very much independent. And, and I think with Man of Steel, they were more going for the, the tonal quality, right? Oh, well, people must like dark and gritty, dark and gritty, dark and gritty. You know, Marvel had very clearly established. I mean, you know, you can see the lines in this. You know, you can see the conversations in the movie studio boardrooms, right? Oh, well, Marvel's going big and family friendly and jokey and silly. We're going to go dark and Dark and gritty, right? Like that's what'll make us different. That's what will sell people on our universe. Like, I mean, this is all like CEO studio executive candy, right? That's what they love. And so, Man of Steel hits. Um, we walked out of that theater just laughing Terrible. <laughs> because just, it just was silly. It was a silly. Uh, movie. It's especially a first impression. It was just not at all what I wanted or thought I wanted out of a Superman movie. Let's let's put it that way. Um, I've come around on man of steel a bit, mostly because I've, I've done a lot of reading. I've listened to a lot of interviews with like David Goyer and sort of what they were trying to do with that script. And I, I get it. My comic books have also recently tried to explore the, you know, the, the ground where Superman is not quite such a firmed up character yet. He hasn't quite become the all American boy scout that he has been throughout, you know, the vast majority of his you know, now, ninety year history, yeah. um, eighty year history thereabouts. Well, you know, cultural you know,
1: so values changed and you know, as we challenge the establishment, you know, we challenge anything that represents the establishment and Superman mm-hmm. to an extent kinda no, yeah. represents <laughs> the man. And yeah. uh that's that's sad that we have it so closely tied to something that's so negative because I think Superman can still be a really really good thing and a really good symbol um we've already talked about a superman movie that i really like that was made by an unfortunate person um right. so going into it you know we already know how i feel about superman so i was bound to hate man of steel and i hated <laughs> man of steel
0: um yeah and and i completely understand i mean you know there's there are scenes in that movie that i'm still just like what is this here for like that uh, the one i cite all the time is him You know, after he does the oil field rescue, you know, the deadliest catch rescue or whatever, um, he comes out of the water and he steals clothes from somebody over at, you know, Eddie Vedder track. And I'm like, what is this? Right. Who who thought this was a good idea?
1: For me, it's every scene with Lois Lane.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest swings and misses in the entirety of this DC universe is just a complete mishandling of Lois Lane. You give that part to Amy Adams, who generally is speaking is great, and then just squander her at every single possible point you can. Um, she's not a reporter, she's not even used well as an emotional support for Superman. They
1: made her she's annoying. Used,
0: she's just dumb. Like yeah. she doesn't exist there. And why are you here? <laughs> I mean, and I understand like part of the problem with Superman as a character is how do you scale characters with him, right? Like can't like it's it's just one of the consistent problems with storytelling you always have to hobble superman in some way and they try to do that and still don't now i will say i've I've come around on as i said on man of steel like i i enjoy watching that movie in its tiny little microcosm like i think of nothing else it's not tied to any other superman stories if i do that i can appreciate it for what it is even you know sort of kevin costner's more nihilistic take on jonathan kent who's trying to protect Superman, not because he knows that someday he's going to emerge into the world and change things, but because he fears what humans will do to him, right? Like the, the Jonathan Kent of the classic story, it's just preparing him for the inevitable step into who he would be. This Jonathan Kent, while he's ostensibly doing the same thing in man of steel is doing so because he's afraid, right? He knows that once people realize what Clark can do, the world in his mind, the world was going to turn on him. And it kind of does, you know, so there's, there's all these you know things there, but I kind of like the idea of Superman begins, which is basically what that is. Um, it's just, it should have happened much earlier, right? Like that should have been, and we've, we've even talked about this sort of off, you know, Mike, just in our own you know, film conversations that really that should have been two movies. There should have been a flashback movie with a much younger actor playing Superman, uh, you know, in his teenage years. Which they do a little bit, but I mean like half the movie should have been seeing the development of him. And then Henry Cavill's character or Cavill's character should have been the the confident, assured, like, okay, I know who I am now. But they, they couldn't balance that out. I still think there are things good about it. I think Russell Crowe is universally good in it. He's perfect as jor in mm-hmm. my opinion, especially within this universe um and i love the badass space scientist stuff at the beginning i just love it like all of the krypton stuff works for me uh really i think the movie takes a step down when we leave krypton because all of that michael shannon just chewing scenery just screaming at the top of his uh, lungs so bad. i love it i love that I just, stuff it uh, works really, but
1: i well i like michael shannon a lot and and i like that character so. You know, I I'm glad that they went there and I'm glad it was something a little bit cheesy in an otherwise really dour movie. Right. But it's like, like it, the one
0: thing that feels like a superhero movie.
1: Yeah. Right? Like otherwise it was just a huge bummer of a film. Bummer. All of
0: these movies are huge bummers. Yeah. Um problem.
1: And I guess that's what I don't like is I, I feel like D C leaned into being a bummer and uh you know, I'm I'm happy to hear that people believe that James Gunn is is pulling them out of that. I have not seen the Suicide Squad though, so Um
0: I, don't know. I have. I'm sure it'll come up as we talk about this. I'll try to avoid, you know, any significant story spoilers, although I don't Suicide Squad, nothing about it feels especially spoilery to me. There's nothing in it that I think would spoil what that movie's trying to do. Um, you know, sort of like Guardians of the Galaxy saying, like, oh, Ronan gets Uh, an infinity stone it's like no who who cares okay of course you know Um, you ruined it i did i took that story away from you now you'll never be able to have it but like so in many ways that is the problem so man of steel comes out giant bummer of a film right movie that literally ends with superman murdering the last living member of his own species um giant bummer no question Batman V Superman colon, dawn of justice comes out. Giant bummer. Superman dies at the end and is killed by <laughs> a kryptonite staff fighting doomsday. Giant bummer ends with a funeral scene like, and then suicide squad is oh. on the, the slate to be released. Mm. So to say that man of steel and Batman V Superman did not, do exceptionally badly they made money but they underperformed projections right you don't spend 300 million on a film to make 765 right like that's not what you're doing here so Suicide Squad was in development Uh, it was very rapid development this is all well known at this point Ayer has spoken about it he was basically given I want to say two to four weeks to write an entire feature film script from top to bottom um, generally that process is months long, especially for these huge tentpole movies. There's tons of approvals and, you know, what works and what doesn't. Like, there's generally a lot of stuff that happens, right? There are movies at Marvel that have been in development for, you know, 10 years um, back and forth. And so Suicide Squad, super rapid development. They decide they need a team-up film because Marvel was killing it with their team-up films and and they didn't really have anything, right? They weren't ready for Justice League. No way. So they needed time, but they wanted a team. So I'm guessing that a lot of this has to do with Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns reportedly loves the Suicide Squad uh, as an idea. He, he was one of the ones that insisted on bringing it back. He wrote it for a while. And so I'm guessing that he interjected, well, hey, what if we do a Suicide Squad? And again, on paper to a studio, all this makes sense. You've got a bunch of pa- of heroes, quote unquote,
2: yeah.
0: who don't have powers. Right We're not talking about needing to do a bunch of c g stuff where people fly, right? You just put a gun in Will Smith's hand and he shooties at the things right like it's it's not a huge special effects extravaganza, although we'll there are things in this movie that went that way like That's you could see seeing. it being pitched, yeah, you could see it being pitched as a small project that will you know if we make this one for this amount of money and it makes seven hundred million, then hey, we're the winners, right so. And Suicide Squad gets developed and things go south very quickly. But yeah,
1: go ahead. Well, yeah, but because no one no one truly wants to see a movie about these characters. People want to see the new one because we've already established that a bad movie was made with them. Um, and so we have to fix it. And everybody liked Guardians of the Galaxy, so we'll just have that guy do mm-hmm. it. But right. if we had never made this movie in 2016... I maintain that this is a movie that should have not been made. These characters don't need to have a movie together or even apart. I, yeah. And I haven't seen, you know, the other content, you know, like the birds of prey movie, but I promise you, I won't like it. Uh, And the new movie, I I don't know, but I just, I feel like the, I feel like the newest movie was made as an apology for this one.
0: It's a course correction for sure. It it's, Gunn is, is careful enough as a writer at this point that it technically falls in continuity with this only because it doesn't acknowledge anything that happened. But the basic setup is the same. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a film that I think, you know, the 2016 Suicide Squad was an attempted rapid course correction by DC because they saw the people, not everybody, I mean there are tons of DC apologists out there, hundred percent fine Uh, but they saw that people widespread you know this was not doing Avengers numbers right like just not even close and that's what they needed or, or at least wanted and so they said we need to course correct this so David Ayer from what I understand and he's because of the release of the new one he's been talking a lot about this one on on social media he had a big Instagram post about it saying that his film was soulful and thoughtful and that it just got chopped up to hell by the studio. Um which I think is pretty evident by the final result. And I think this was them trying to Guardians of the Galaxy their universe, right? And then as DC has wanted to do just epically fucking it up from top to bottom. Just this is not the, this was not the project to try and do that with right? Like it wasn't. And you can see it in the tail of the trailers, right? And so uh, I don't know how much of this, you know, I assume at least some, because, you know, again, we've, we've sort of circled around this film a bunch, uh, a lot of the YouTube channels that we both love and and watch in regards to film. Uh, Shout out to Folding Ideas um, on YouTube. If you have not watched his series on Suicide Squad, he did two different videos, I think, mostly focused on editing, which this film has a massive editing problem from top to bottom, but this film was also one of the most public examples of a film being taken away from a director and then being edited and assembled by someone else. The director may have had some input, but I cannot believe after watching if, you know, David Ayer did like end of watch and fury. Right. And if you watch those movies, even if you don't like them, they're competently made they're well shot they're edited cleanly they're not perfect but they're solid
1: they're not nonsense
0: right they're they're solid if unremarkable right if you want to put it that way solid but unremarkable this film is a nightmare i
1: had to watch <laughs> I, I had, had to, to read a plot synopsis after i watched the movie in order well, to figure out what the movie was really about
0: that's because the movie doesn't start for an hour yeah. the first hour of this movie is introductions which is not how team-up movies should work. But I think when Ayer says like he, he originally had this very thoughtful, sort of soulful movie, my thinking is, um, and we can get to this when we you know do our, our deep dive discussion of it, but this was really at one time a movie primarily about the Joker and Harley Quinn. I think that was what this movie was mostly about. And it was telling their story because this is the introduction of the DC cinematic universe's version of the Joker, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and of course, because the the two characters are so tied closely together now that also meant that they brought in Harley Quinn. Um, Now there are very few things that have survived successfully beyond this film in the DC universe. Harley Quinn is one of them. Um, which I think has a lot to do with Margot Robbie. Like Margot Robbie is actually very good as as Harley Quinn. I, I think she's completely misused in this film. In the subsequent films that they've done with her as Harley Quinn, I think she has done a very good job embodying a character that was really meant to be a a sort of one off joke, right? Like when she was introduced in the animated series, it was a joke,
1: mm-hmm. right? Like well, I mean, um, her name is a joke.
0: Yeah, like okay. she's. She's meant to be this this side character. And it was only because other writers wanted to do more stories with her that she continued to persist in the animated, you know, the Batman animated universe. And And that's fine. I think she's a good character, especially now that she's struck out on her own and is, is no longer tied exclusively to the Joker. That's that's fine. But this was their big swing into that. Cause we'd already been introduced to Batman. The Joker had been hinted at in Batman V Superman Dawn of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was their payoff of that it, to show like who Batman has been up against. And then Harley Quinn, you know, was brought in subsequently. And I think this movie was much more about them at some point. Um, of course we see flashbacks throughout the film of Joker and Harley Quinn's, you know, really their entire, the, the the entire genesis of their relationship from her working at Arkham to, you know, the swan dive into the acid bath, you know, all of that stuff is, is, is played out there, but we get it in these little snippets. I have a feeling it was meant to be much longer. And really that's part of this movie's problem is that it doesn't, it doesn't know what to focus on because there's so much happening and so many characters to look at that. It becomes very obvious very quickly that they really don't know where to expend their time and resources. Um, and the film just feels really disjointed as a result. Um, I, I am sure we'll get into our feelings about some of the character work in this film. Mm. Um, needless to say, I I loathe Jared Leto in this movie. Um, normally, I loathe him in many, in many movies. Normally,
1: I'm <laughs> I i I'm not a big fan, but I don't hate him. I mean, I think he's no. a fine mm-hmm. actor. When- sure when given the right material. um, But I just... I'll be bold and just tell the truth. I really find all sorts of Joker-related things to be extremely cringy since Heath Ledger's performance. Um, mm-hmm. st- Heath Ledger's performance was really cool, but kind of like what America did when they got a hold of uh, Fight Club um, they ruined it. Like yeah. you took a cool thing that was like oh, that was a good that was a good movie,
2: yeah.
1: uh, and then you ruined it. <laughs> and now, like you can't quote that movie, you can't wear merchandise from that movie because mm, cringe. So I just uh, I yeah. found everything about his performance to be cringy and to be upsetting, and just every moment that he was on screen just deeply upset me so yeah I'll have lots th- to say <laughs> as we go on but that's
0: the thing just that un- uh- yeah the, the thing that unnerved me the most about him was we did a recent rewatch of the mask <laughs> and I swear to god
1: it's the same that performance.
0: he is doing the mask I don't know if he realizes that's what he's doing I don't know if Jared Leto, who is definitely a 90s kid like both of us, is just not remembering that character. But there are lines in this film as I rewatched it, I was like, oh shit, is he going to say, somebody stop me? <laughs> I
1: feel oh like a God, big part stop. of it is that
0: <laughs> oh, man. the teeth,
1: the grill yes. that they have him yeah. wearing. When you
0: pop somebody's teeth out like that, it changes so much about what they can do.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it did like this, it was bad. Just bad. But we'll we'll talk more about that as we...
0: Right. Supposedly, I will say the grill was another backstory, and I think Ayer had specifically said this, that Batman had had basically beaten him half to death and shattered all of his teeth. Like, Joker didn't have any teeth left and then had to have them all rebuilt. So it was supposed to be, again, this thing that I'm sure got mentioned at some point that...
1: Well, it's also or, David you know, Ayer's but, fascination with gangsters.
0: Yes, and and we'll. That's again, why he has the we're,
1: tattoos.
0: We're jumping the gun a little bit, but yes, David Ayer took a very specific approach with Joker as a as as an what type of villain he is. Um, you know, he's not the clown prince of crime. He is <laughs> basically Scarface <laughs> with a fucked up mouth. Like it's it's a very interesting approach. Um, I, I I don't know. We'll get there but so this suicide squad was sort of massacred in post-production by all accounts uh, very famously the rumor is that wb the the trailer that came out for suicide squad which i'll admit i watched and enjoyed it had uh, bohemian rhapsody in it had a bunch of like really quick editing and snappy jokes um you know that trailer came out did very well good reaction got people excited the problem was is that that trailer literally took every funny thing in the movie and spliced it together with Bohemian Rhapsody to make it look like a very different film than what it actually was. So people responded well to that tone and supposedly Warner brothers came in and said, Hey, we're just going to try and redo the whole movie like this. We want to change the whole movie to this, this concept. And at that point, you know, shooting was over Ayer had shot the movie that he wanted to shoot. And, you know, once it's in the can, it's in the can. So they did extensive reshoots to try and inject more humor into the film, which I think feels pretty obvious. Um, and ultimately, you know, instead of getting like, I think this is kind of a fant four stick situation, which is a film that I hope to talk on about here on one time as well, where I don't think the movie that air made was probably very good. I really don't. It was probably not good at all, but it would have been better than this just because it would have been a single unified vision. Right. Like at least it would have had some sort of co- coherence to it, whereas this movie is bad and incoherent and terrible. Right? Yeah. The other one would have been bad, but it would have like, you know, sort of like new mutants. Right. It would have had its defenders who were like, I at least see what it's trying to do. But this one is nigh indefensible because it's terrible from top to bottom. Um, You know, we don't even really have to cover Rotten Tomatoes scores again. The interesting thing I wanted to point out is that it has about a 26 percent on Rotten Tomatoes from a critical standpoint, which is one of the lowest superhero films on Rotten Tomatoes, not the lowest, but it's one of the lowest. But its audience score is 60 percent with over 100,000 ratings. Now, some of that, I'm sure, is D.C. fanboy brigading, which is a a very big problem. Uh, The moment the D.C. fanboys, the, the Snyderverse dudes come out to play. Um, ratings are gonna get skewed very, very quickly. So the fact that it's at 60 probably means it should be more like 30 or 40. But needless to say, people, you know, the folks on the street seem to like this a little bit more than the critics did, which I think is a bit understandable, but not by a lot. People
2: but I think are it morons.
0: does well, I think it brings <laughs> up an interesting question of what what are superhero film fans looking for and I think this film is evidence of the fact that for a superhero film fan at this point I think many of them are simply going to be satisfied seeing characters that they recognize doing things that they expect. be honest like that's, I, I really, that's
1: a lot of my motivation personally I don't, sure. like I love comic books and I like comic book heroes so I already, and I've done this for books as well, just just regular books. I divorce the book from the movie because I know it's never going to be like a book. And a lot of people, I guess, just don't do that. Um, And and they get very offended by, you know, changes that are made. But in general, I'm just happy to see characters. I like doing things that I, Mm -hmm. I want to see them do. That's why... You know, I'm one of those people who was bummed out when in Man of Steel Superman didn't have a curl. I, I was like, aw. <laughs> but I like the curl. Right. right.
0: Um, That's silly. Nobody's hair looks like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I fully admit that I'm... As long as the movie is entertaining and I get to see those characters in the way that I want to see them, I, I will probably be content. That's why I like Thor. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: It's not a great movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no <laughs> no um but they're they're fun and and this one i i i appreciate that it attempts to be fun um but it it just it fails. doesn't get that right it's wrong on so many levels i mean this is a movie that has ike holtz in it like do you realize that like why in the world would you hire ike holtz to be in your movie if if you weren't trying to be funny but i it feels more like a david uh air choice to try and inject some kind of weird humor into it but it's misappropriated at all levels um so i guess you know before we get into the, the things any any sort of final thoughts on you know sort of the film as a whole before we kind of break it down again i, I think we'll move quickly because this is a film that has been endlessly discussed but I, I i'm excited to see your perspective on it you know given that you know i've been following all this stuff forever now and, and well, I have my own thoughts but
1: I uh like I said I I had to consult a plot synopsis in order to figure out what this movie like what the arc was supposed to be um usually movies make an impression of you know this was the beginning this was the middle and this is how it ended and I just came away from the movie I like it it ended and I just sat back and I was like what happened
2: In that movie.
1: Like what like what were the plot points again? And who was in it? Harley Quinn was in it. I know she was in it. Will Smith was in it. What happened though? They were doing stuff. Things things occurred. It just it was it was a whole lot of flashiness and I couldn't really find the movie beneath the flash.
0: Yes. This film struggled. I mean a lot of superhero films struggle to have what we might consider substance. I mean, for sure. But this one, it's, it's more than a struggle. Like it is the core problem of the film. (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, dear listener, if you haven't seen the original suicide squad uh, from 2016, um, I, I honestly don't know if I would suggest checking it out. If you have an interest in seeing a film that DC would very much like you to forget exists, then perhaps, but you know, there are some things to like about it. I think again, Harley Quinn and sort of seeing where Margot Robbie's take on that character begins, even though this film has a tremendous number of issues with how she is presented, uh, the middle section where they're kind of like getting the team together is, is really problematic. Like, I mean, we can talk about male gaze and problems like that throughout most of these films, but this one is, mm, um, (laughs) what did I, what did I see? Uh, Somebody I heard discussing about it was like, you know, there was a production assistant who was definitely like running out there in between scenes to to pull her hot pants up between her butt cheeks in every single one of those. And and, uh, and it's it's definitely true. Like, it's just so, so obvious. And the fact that yeah. that's kind of become the default Harley look now, yeah. like that whole like, you know, daddy's little monster ringer tee pants and I fishnets. Hate it. It's it's real rough that that became the default. Um there was some some rough Comic-Con cosplay. And I
1: I like a, <laughs> I like attractive Harley Quinn costumes. Yeah. I really liked her her more revealing costume changes in the the Rocksteady games. Um Oh sure.
0: Yeah. Rocksteady had some interesting takes on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, those were those were pretty revealing in general. Mm-hmm. Um
0: I mean Poison Ivy's basically naked in those games.
1: Yeah, I mean she's, like, she's wearing a <laughs> prison shirt and she's covered in leaves and it works. Yeah. Uh, cuz that's that's her comic book look in a lot of the series that I Definitely I love her the recently, most in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so it's not like I don't appreciate that, but this just feels uh,
0: it's a bit gross. It's, it's just kind of It gross.
1: is. It's just gross. I can't I can't really point out, you know, any specific thing other than I don't think this is something that Harley Quinn would actually wear based on everything that I've ever known about that character. Um sure. she would wear something flashy, she would wear something ridiculous, but I feel like it wouldn't be daddy themed. That especially, I don't know, maybe that's mm. just for me. I've always found that kind of gross. Um Yeah,
0: it's a weird place to be.
1: And I don't want to see that on a, on a character that I'm supposed to like, I guess, because that just makes me automatically not like you.
0: Um, and that's a core problem with this film and, and Suicide Squad as a concept is that they're villains, right? They're being The whole point is that they're bad guys being thrown onto the frying pan with the intent that they die. right? They want them to die so that they don't have to house them and jail them and feed them anymore. That's, that's the joke. Um, it was also a place for, you know, John Ostrander to feed, you know, the the numerous ridiculous DC villains and all of and you know from all of the you know Harvey comics and everything else that they had bought over the years that they had retired and weren't using anymore. You could bring all those people back and then just have them get their heads blown off, have them get them ripped yeah. in half, you know, because nobody gave a shit and it was funny. You know, that was the point. But this film wants you to see these characters as heroes by the end. And that's a very difficult line to walk um, because they're not, and they never will be. Uh, that's one, that's one thing that's James Gunn's new film. That's a, a line that it walks much, much better than this one does, which, you know, makes a ton of sense given what Gunn's seeming, what his expertise seems to be in terms of movies, which is making sort of lovable doof balls that are basically screw ups into characters that you kind of care about. And that's kind of the approach that he takes with the suicide squad. None of them are inherently evil, I suppose. They're all just kind of like misfit doofballs that get a chance to show that they can be okay. And and that's a better take on it than this, unfortunately. Um All right, so let's get into the breakdown again if you want to check this out it's available in numerous places i think the most obvious places on hbo max where most of dc's stuff is streaming right now um and you can certainly dig into it there uh, i will say that uh, one of the biggest red flags for me that a movie is probably unsuccessful is when you put will smith in it and it's still not interesting because if there is one thing that Will Smith is good at, it is gaining people's that's, attention and being charismatic.
1: That's actually that <laughs> was my first and biggest complaint while watching the film. So um, bad. They sucked all the fun out of the Fresh Prince. And I just, mm-hmm. like, I I know a lot of people don't like Will Smith for whatever reason, for like a variety of reasons. You know, sure. I guess too successful. I don't know. He's just too darn likable. Um... But I actually really do like Will Smith. I, yeah. I mean, when he's in a movie that's good, Will Smith is great. And he's a great actor. Um, and I was a big fan of The Fresh Prince. I don't know. I, I like his music, too. Sorry.
0: Um, well, when, you, when you look at the films that have failed with Will Smith in them, the first thing that every single one of them does is have some core element of the conceit of the character that makes him either unlikable or boring. Yeah. Um, I, Robot, That guy is just pissed off at the world and he sucks.
1: But you know what I Still movie. like Will Smith though.
0: He's he I mean he redeems himself.
1: Um there's but it's, there it's not an easy moments one. there are moments that make me laugh out loud in iRobot. And that's saying something. Um Sure. I I don't know. I was really, really put off by just every moment that he was on screen, because it was almost like he was robbed of his charisma,
0: yes, this film actively robs him of his charisma because this because if you let Will Smith go full charisma, he will dominate your film, he will take it over, and you could tell that either the studio or maybe air, because this is supposed to be a ensemble picture, was trying to tamp him down and it's a mistake you you don't hire Will Smith and then do that to him. It's a bad idea yeah. it's always a bad idea and and this film while it may not be actively trying to I think he kind of is able to shine a bit in the last section of the film but it's it's rough like it's just it's a rough rough approach. So anyway uh, well let's get into our breakdown. Uh, we will start where the film starts uh, with a oversaturated pink and green hued logo treatment. Um, Which
1: just doesn't look good.
0: uh, It doesn't feel
1: consistent with the other DC logos to me.
0: It feels consistent if this was supposed to be a movie about the Joker and Harley Quinn. That's That's true. Feels like that's
1: true. Um,
0: Because the fishnets behind the DC logo again, I feel like Ayer's original version of this movie was basically just Joker and Harley Quinn, and then Harley goes to jail, gets abused. Joker's trying to break her out. And then the task force X stuff becomes the excuse for him to do so, which explains why he basically disappears in the second half of this movie. Like he is gone mm-hmm. for really no reason. And then he just reappears at the end. It's just like, Oh, I'm back. I was fine. Everything was good. That helicopter that I crashed in all fine. Right. It's, it makes no sense. And there are many things in this movie that do, but I think again, again, this all this 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 look makes sense if this is a joker movie mm-hmm. the moment you take the joker out of it no longer makes sense because i mean like all of the suicide squad people are running around in like fucking tactical gear and velour track suits right like nobody's this colorful the only colorful people in this movie are the joker and harley quinn period So I I don't know. It's, it's a weird logo treatment. It's fine. You know, DC has really struggled with consistent identity, you know, say what you want about Marvel. But when that Marvel logo comes up, even if they color it weird, they put different characters in it. It's the the Lucasfilm effect. It's
1: the, it's the Walt Disney pictures effect. You know, Mm -hmm. you get excited by that logo because it's, it's the same concept that they put into the branding of things like Nintendo. You see it and you think, Oh, this will be good because it's, it's Nintendo. It this. It's Disney. It's Marvel, and DC doesn't really have that.
0: <laughs> They're not. No, not quite as strong. Not they've there got yet. their expanded. They've got their expanded logo now, where it kind of goes through all the different heroes and like these bad CG renditions of them. That's just trying, but even that is, is just super weak. Um, so this film opens. Uh, we cut in from the DC logo, the DC logo rotates, we come into the middle of it, and then we're in a landscape, and and we're meant to think very quickly that this is is Belle Reeve prison, uh, which very famously is like the super, super villain Max prison. You know, in Marvel they have the raft, the one that's out in the harbor that you know is underwater. This one they have Bell Reeve. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But it's a prison, and and we're arriving there, and uh, again, shout out to Folding at Home or Folding Ideas, the uh, yeah, Folding Ideas channel on uh, YouTube. Um, he has a great breakdown of why all the needle drops in this movie are bad. Um, but all of the needle drops in this movie are bad. And there are so, so, so many of them. Uh, it The first half hour of this movie, because uh, I went to see this with our dad. I took my dad to see this. And he was bewildered. By this film uh because it moves really quickly and it moves so quickly to accomplish very little but it's music constantly and it's very recognizable tunes right we open with house of the rising sun because bell reef's supposed to be in louisiana really literal ding 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 right it was (laughs) kind of like the
1: fear street movies just let's take the most literal or obvious thing and use that and then do nothing to to dress it up or make it relevant just slap a song on it that's you know descriptive of the thing
0: right like we we had a we did a google search for songs about insanity yeah and we came up with insane in the membrane we'll put that one in Steve. Oh my God. you know it's uh so our, our first you know we get a, a couple shots some very rapid shots really i'll say basically typical establishing stuff wide shot then we see a, a wall outside of Bel Reve where you can kind of read it, but not very well. And then uh, a guard room, and then we're inside the prison and we're we're with who we come to know as Deadshot, who is Will Smith's character. Uh Deadshot is one of many assassins in the DC universe. Of course, we have Death Stroke, uh, Deadshot uh in the the new Suicide Squad, it is Bloodsport, but they're basically all the same dude, right? There's yeah. hired Hired killers. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that the Teen Titans fight, right? Like that's that's what these characters are. (laughs) They're they're too they're too uh, too worthless for Superman to come down and fight because they just shoot. They just shoot people. Right. So we'll send Cyborg after him. Why not? But it's Deadshot. Um, He has workout equipment in his room in the Supermax prison, apparently. Um, Which uh, seems an interesting choice. For for people who are are supposed to be sort of you know isolated from the world, but uh, yeah. apparently has a heavy bag or, or something, and uh, unless he just like rolled up his mattress or something, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But he's like working out, and and then Ike Barinholtz is there, and he's making jokes and giving him crappy food, and and you know trying to establish rapport. I guess I don't know. It's very strange. Most of this stuff is just really bad, but really for the next I'm going to say 40 minutes. It's it's just establishing the characters, mm-hmm. right? So this version of the Suicide Squad is Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Cap'n Boomerang, Slipknot comes in later uh the uh, the enchantress sorry uh killer croc and el diablo who i know is based on a character i don't know if he's an exact comic book character i think he's more like an amalgam but i i honestly can't remember um and maybe like one or two others again it's really hard to keep track and most of them don't matter so i don't want to spend a lot of time on it but basically we get deadshot's introduction then Harley's introduction and then Amanda Waller's introduction. And then it's within Amanda Waller's introduction that we are introduced to all of the other characters. And then every character gets like a, like title card on screen. Here's their like specific breakdown. It, it feels like a trailer. It feels like it, like the stuff you would have seen. It feels like snatch, right? Yeah. Just like, Title card, here's Mickey. Mickey's a boxer. He loves dags, right? Like, it's just like this list of shit about them. And it's mostly meant to be a joke. There's like a joke in there with Rick Flagg about like he's got like an 11 handicap on the golf. And I'm like, what?
1: Okay. Um, Okay. Why? What is
0: that? So they're meant to be jokes in some cases, but they're also meant to provide our actual... Like our actual introduction to these characters and give us their history and backstory. And some of them are important. Like for the Enchantress, we find out that she has a brother on that card. Yeah. And it's the only place in the movie that we're explicitly told that <sighs> until the character is introduced.
1: Now you understand so, why I had to look at that plot synopsis. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a
0: minute. How did we end up here? <laughs> It's bewildering. Like, it's just the this whole sequence, aside from the fact that they use sympathy for the devil to introduce Amanda mm. Waller, which, oh, she's evil, huh? Okay, thanks. Um, It's, it's just so cheesy. Um, supposedly, well, there is a stinger on this film where Batman shows up and says, you need to shut this down or else my, me and my friends will shut it down, which is supposed to be like a lead into Justice League, a bad one. Um, but it takes place at the same restaurant where this opens. So let's look at the structure of the opening of this film. Now, one of the things that, that has been clearly established that the first 10 minutes of your movie is so important, right? It's It's literally essential for establishing what you're going to be doing. And if by that 10-minute mark, you've not sort of cleanly laid out your world and made it obvious what we're going to be doing, then you have failed as a filmmaker. Like, you just you have not accomplished one of the main objectives of the opening strains of your movie,
1: which is getting people to watch it,
0: (laughs) right? Like uh, you're going to hang around at the 10 minute mark. We are still establishing Harley Quinn's backstory with the Joker and no actual plot, no actual plot action has begun. So, I mean, like we get introduced to Deadshot in prison Harley in prison where she gets physically abused, and I hate Um, her
1: introduction. I just want to go on record to say that I hate it. Okay. Um, Yep. I really, really hate the 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 crazy sexy thing. Like uh, Mm. that's just a trope that's so tired and so not. I mean, I get it; she's supposed to be crazy, but they always pair it with that, you know, oversexed. Um, you know, kind of succubus thing, and I just don't get. Right? Can we do something else?
0: (laughs) That all women of 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 certain dispositions are basically just nymphomaniacs as well, which you know, in some of the later Harley stuff with Margot Robbie, uh, she sort of plays on that, almost like it's something that she allows people to think, but it's not necessarily true. Um, One of the, I don't want to call it a joke in the the. Harley Quinn film, the the birds of prey film is that she's kind of like fiercely monogamous, right? Like, like crazily. So, um, you know, devoted to Joker from like top to bottom. And part of that film's structure is her sort of reconciling that and then, then moving beyond it. But yeah, to have her, her just be painted as this like, you know, sex crazed maniac and, you know you could argue i guess she's playing into it to appease the guard and get him close so that she can
1: but make, you know the the movie doesn't it, really couch it that no. way and i just you know i can i always want to believe that a movie would do what you're saying but this movie's clearly not doing that it's trying <laughs> to do a crazy hot chick and right e
0: So we get a little flashback to Deadshot the, once Waller starts making her introductions. Because uh, supposedly, I, I guess the whole idea here is that she has not yet established that Task Force X is a thing. And she's trying to sell it to the military higher. Which
1: we're practices. not told or, or shown, really, that that's what's going on.
0: Right. Like- so my question is, why don't we start with the restaurant scene? Uh, yeah. Would that make more sense, right? And then you introduce your characters off of that. Why did we start in the prison with Deadshot and Harley unless the film was just so concerned that we would forget that Will Smith and Marco Robbie are in the film that we have to establish? Oh, don't, don't worry, kids. They're in here. But from a storytelling standpoint, it makes no sense because we get an introduction. And then we get Waller's introduction of all those characters, which are just basically told an extended flashback. So we see Will Smith being awesome, murdering a rat for the mob or something. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. But he kills some guy in a cool way. Um, I won't even get into how Deadshot is the only character who is introduced with a rap song, which I think is just really tone deaf it's like okay all right well way to go soundtrack guys you did it but so he's trying to do a job waller's narrating it's very typical it's not even that exciting it's just okay and then we get she does the same thing for harley quinn she does the same thing for captain boomerang we get a couple cameos batman's the one who catches deadshot because he's out with his daughter so we get this nice like family connection where deadshot's like trying to do right by his kid which you know okay
1: i guess you know
0: murder with a heart of gold i suppose uh it's you know again we want to talk about tropes and we completely
1: we completely devalue and and brush aside what could be if it was given the proper you know time and attention and care a very powerful character growth moment by immediately going into it's Harley Quinn, and she's scantily clad. Look, she's crazy, and she wants to fuck everyone. I just hate it. I hate it. I feel like that really cheapened the film, and it cheapened that character, and it kind of cheapened Deadshot's story too, because like that is the immediate follow-up to this sensitive moment of you know Will Smith cradling the daughter in the alleyway as he's going to prison, you know, giving all this up, <laughs> right. and then it immediately cuts to, Wee-hoo! I'm in a tiny gold dress! And it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: We, uh, we get a, a very brief rundown of basically the same Harley Quinn origin story that was established way back in the anim- animated series, that Harleen Quinzel was <laughs> a... <laughs>
1: It's never not going to be funny. I
0: know, I know. know. (laughs) Was a a psychiatrist at Arkham. She started working with the Joker. The Joker.
1: Now, I will say it's very different in the animated series and in all subsequent, you know, origin stories of this type that I've read. It's that Harley was never all there.
0: Sure. She studies serial killers
1: and maniacs and these, what she called, shouldn't she call them big personalities? I guess you could say, I I have a thing for something personality. Like, I I can't fucking remember. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) But it was always that she was already unhinged. And she, like, I always liked the suggestion that she got in with the Joker because. She already kind of had this desire to be this this person. And this movie takes it in a wildly different direction.
0: Yeah, it becomes a very sort of like submissive thing where she wants the Joker to abusive punish thing. her. It is an and, abusive and, and, yeah. thing
1: because that, it, yeah. it gets weird. And it it starts with this scene, I thought.
0: Yes, I mean, we see him... Uh, basically administering um, shock therapy to her. And it's in those moments that we get all of the sort of what I presume are the much longer sequences explaining Harley and Joker's relationship and how it developed. Um, But so then that's when we flash to the gold dress scene where they're in the club and Joker is doing like a really bad Al Pacino impression. And, (laughs) And Terrible. just staring at Harley as she's gyrating on top of people on the dance floor for no reason. Like, she's not performing. She's just out there. And I guess the, the whole idea is that she, you know, just gets away with it. But then Common shows up because why isn't Common's in everything, right? We just sure. why his name is why his name is Common.
1: He's, he's so Common.
0: He's just Commonly in every film. And he had. He admires. Harley in some way Um, he says I think she's she's a bad bitch something along those lines and and Joker kind of like loses it and I can see the the idea behind this scene right okay so in a in a movie that wasn't so obsessed with just jumping around without any sense of time or distance or space or reality this probably was a scene that got built from something else like Joker because all the scenes where he's like in this tuxedo outfit, I think are are all at one point we're all supposed to be edited together because we get that other one later where he's like laying in the knives and we find out that Harley's been basically Harley's been taken to Belle Reve, right? Like that's the scene where he finds out that hey, they're not just taking us to regular jail anymore. Um they're you know Harley has basically been disappeared. And it almost feels like this that scene comes almost directly after this scene, but we don't get that scene until like another hour into the freaking movie. I know. Because there's the bodyguard guy in there and that keeps cutting to him and he keeps looking at Joker, being like, oh shit, he's gonna do something crazy. And and that guy shows up several times, and he's not just one of the henchmen. Like it almost seems like he's a handler, like <laughs> someone that is there His to assistant. monitor what the Joker is doing. Yeah, like. Like he's his Alfred or something. Like he's Like he's the one being like, I don't know if this is the right choice. Uh, now that's say, oh, a movie I, I would watch. Right. In a movie that was about the Joker and Harley Quinn, a character like that would have space because mm-hmm. you need somebody for the Joker to bounce ideas off of. That's not fucking insane. But it, here it just he gets reduced to a punchline and we get this weird scene where Joker reacts in a way that is not earned by any other behavior that we've seen. So the whole reason the scene even works at all is because most people are going to assume that Joker's just out of his mind. But this movie wants us to believe the Joker is out of his mind, but yet also is this brilliant tactician. Because then he executes a plan at the end of the film to rescue Harley that, frankly, is fairly complicated. So I I don't that's my biggest issue with the Joker in this movie is that and not that I demand consistency in my Joker performances. I don't. I get it. But yet, if you're going to show me a Joker who is truly unhinged, just off his gourd, murdering everyone, totally unpredictable. I'm going to stick a grenade down your pants and walk away laughing kind of Joker. Then let's try and stick to that because you don't really get to have it both ways. Right that's kind of why Heath Ledger's Joker worked so well and I think what this movie misses about the Joker is that Heath Ledger's take on the Joker the insanity was the cover for the incredibly calculating mastermind working behind the scenes right that was the whole point this one I don't know if that's the case right and yeah. it's very very annoying
1: and the movie makes it hard to tell
0: yeah it's it, not it doesn't doing seem you to any know
1: itself yeah it I just um and and Jared Leto, I think maybe thought that this was gonna read differently on screen. Maybe yeah. the energy was different when he was giving the performance. I don't know. I wasn't there. Well, I heard a lot I of think- stuff about you know how the how it was to be in scenes with him because he was you know trying to do the method act.
0: Right, like he didn't bathe for a long time. Apparently, he sent people dead rats as gifts. Yeah, like, like kind of okay, shit. I mean, that's it's the stuff. It's it's the Jared Leto stuff that we've we've all heard. Um, but I mean, this is a performance, and any performance is this way. But one like this that is so sort of like all over the place. This is one that you really do need to trust that your director is going to sort of handle it with kid gloves and make sure you come off looking okay. And I, that just didn't happen here. Um. I again, I I hate it because it's the mask, it's just the gym, it's like the mask without any irony or comedy. But I also just hate that we don't get he's no fun, like no. Joker at its core. Should I mean, even Jack Nicholson's take, which was a very dark take on well, Joker, was fun. I'll, like just, at the, I don't I'll just
1: be honest, like, I, I agree completely to the effect that. A lot of people, I, I know, you know, it's kind of divided, but a lot of people did like the Joaquin Phoenix performance. I did not. I hated that movie. I uh, Um I,
0: I was surprised by its approach. I loved the look and feel of it. I liked yeah. setting Gotham in that early 1980s time period. That felt really good. Even th- that Gotham's always been Chicago, and it basically just felt like Chicago in the 80s. But
1: the movie was garbage.
0: I think the basic story was very bare bones. The connections to the Wayne family were very sort of stupid, prickly and (laughs) and unnecessary. Like I really like when it happened in the movie, I was like, I didn't even, why is this even here? Like, I don't even know what this is. Um, I guess, you know, to try and set up some sort of, some sort of, you know, nemesis relationship between, you know, the future Batman and the Joker which is a movie that we're never going to see. So I don't know why they cared. Yeah. Um, I I like, I mean, Joaquin's performance is undeniably good in that film, whether it, but it's a Joker film only in that they felt the need to make it a Joker film. Mm -hmm. It it basically could have just been written as a drama about a guy struggling with the various issues that he was struggling with. And then at the end, just, you know, somehow gets a bit of fame and then just fucks it all up. But I,
1: but I just,
0: it's fine. I'm, I'm,
1: kind of notoriously not into a lot of these super serious takes on the joker because i, I i'm not I, will, I don't go full in the opposite direction of like caesar romero or anything even though i do kind of have a soft spot for it yeah i I really that's liked fun. the jack nicholson performance mostly because jack nicholson Same. scares the shit out of me. i just think right. he's a really scary dude and mm-hmm to put him in that role and kind of give him the Caesar Romero treatment as far as makeup and costume really made that extra really cool. Un-
0: it's it's unnerving in a really interesting way.
1: But that's that's the the pairing of early Tim Burton, you know, talent and Jack Nicholson being a, a really talented actor. This movie has, you know, an undeniably talented actor in Jared Leto. Like we've seen him act before. He's good. Mm-hmm he is as weird as he is um you know who you know who else was weird marlon brando was weird um <laughs> and he was an amazing yep. actor so Very you much. know you're no no shade thrown there that's fine but we just don't understand his performance at any point we're not really given a chance to because i don't even really feel like he's in the movie
0: no his screen time is incredibly low which I think again is one of the reasons why the story that we're presented doesn't work is I think this movie was written or at least conceptualized with the Joker as a much, much more valuable sort of component of its design. And then they basically made the decision probably because it's very dark. Like the Joker is one of the more violent characters in this film. Most of the violence is entirely toothless. Like the violence in this movie is basically non-existent you know at at the end they're basically fighting putties from power rangers um and just exploding them in you know showers of black goo but the joker's violence the violence that he enacts is quite real right like he is murdering people shooting them threatening people's families you know and and i feel like they had to cut him because it was because it was so much in that direction but when you excise that character from this movie, I think you take all the teeth away. Like there's just nothing at stake in this movie. Um, and I guess we'll get to that. We we do get a little flashback sort of tying this Joker to Ben Affleck's version of Batman, which again. Terrible. I don't know how well that works. Um I I will be the first to say that I do not dislike Ben Affleck's take on Batman. I really don't. I, I think as that older Batman character, the wizened Batman, the sort of, you know, the the Frank Miller's, the Dark Knight Batman, I think he's actually okay. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes of Joss Whedon's version of Justice League is trying to sort of youngen him up, uh, instead of letting him be that grizzled, pissed off guy. Joss Whedon you know, sucks, so, I,
1: so that's part he of that does. problem.
0: Oh, I also wanted to mention, did you notice, and this is just a, this is just a, costume design thing did you notice that harley quinn in that scene with the gold dress and then still in the scene in the the purple lamborghini where batman runs them off the road into the bay that she is wearing watches on her upper arms Mm -hmm. is that a thing is that something that has cultural like i've i've missed to be like, oh um, yes, of course. It watches was, on the upper arm. It
1: was really cool and fashionable to wear those uh, stretchy watches on your sort of mid um, arm, like your your.
0: Are we talking like swatches here? Like,
1: kind of, but like, like the, that the gold, the gold stretchy ones. That was that was cool for a while to wear them kind of high up, you know, above your wrist. But to wear them all mm-hmm. the way up on the arm was was uh,
0: interesting. Yeah, it just it, it felt cuff. weird. Um,
1: there were a know. lot of jewelry. This movie is very over costumed in some ways, and then under costumed in other ways, and it doesn't hang very well. Um, in general, just the look of the movie goes back and forth too much to being really bland and uninspired. Everything from you know the costumes to the shots themselves to the the way the actors are positioned to being really bombastic and over the top. And that was also really kind of off putting because even, especially in this opening where it's going back and forth between like Harley and Amanda Waller, Deadshot. And only one of those things is interesting to look at. And that sucks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So I, w- I wanted to talk a little bit about the balance of the character cards, right? Cause that's, that's really what we're getting as a character card with a flashback set mm-hmm. or set of flashbacks. So Floyd Lawton is introduced. His character card hits at five minutes and 20 seconds. And then he is exiting at nine minutes. So he gets basically three and a half minutes of backstory. Harley comes in immediately after that at uh, nine minutes and a couple of seconds. For her introduction and lasts until almost 15 16 minutes so she gets a six and a half minute introduction compared to Deadshot. and then we get the rest of them very quickly because the next one of course is captain boomerang he gets less than a minute <laughs> what else are you could have said yeah who cares who has boomerangs who gives a shit Uh, Then we get El Diablo, who gets a little bit more time because they have to explain that he murdered his family um, to set up why he doesn't want to be a member of Task Force X, but goes anyway, I guess. And interspersed in all of this, you get the guards going around to introduce us to the characters that they apparently didn't have time to film flashbacks for. So that's where we get introduced to Killer Croc, who is just being allowed to live in the sewers of the prison, which.
1: Well, I mean, that fits with some of the things about Killer Croc that I mean, that, I guess that's fine. But what sucks is I kind of like Killer Croc and mm-hmm. why even bother putting him in the movie?
0: <laughs> yeah, the Killer Croc doesn't belong in this film. There's no reason for him to be in this film. Um, he doesn't do anything. He has absolutely no bearing on the ending of the film other than he can swim underwater and go take the bomb like that is it. Um, but, you know, give one of the nameless soldiers, give it to Scott Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's kids in this movie. Let him be the guy who swims down. Just give him some scuba gear. He gives a crap. Right. Like it's just it's so pointless. And and I agree, Killer Croc, again, because we grew up watching the animated series, and the animated series really had a lot of great Killer Croc stories and did a lot to build that character and do cool things with him, much like Clayface, which I think I don't think Clayface would even be a thing that anybody cared about if it wasn't for the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's, he's pointless in this film. We don't really get an introduction. He doesn't get a backstory. He barely gets an explanation from Waller because guess what? He's just a guy who looks like a crocodile. He's mm-hmm. a... What did what did Dan at Folding Ideas say? <laughs> he's, a, he's a linebacker with a skin condition. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like that's it. So yeah, they didn't even
1: really to... do anything visually fun with Killer Croc, and you can do some no. some really cool you know, depictions that go from from monstrous to even kind of kind of cute. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really like. Yeah, that there's character. a lot of ways you
0: can represent that character, and and they just don't really do anything interesting with it. You can tell they had a mandate to try and make it look real, which again. I want to I want to see in what universe a man who looks like an alligator can never look real but whatever. Uh and then we get our introduction to the enchantress played by Cara Delvine. Um and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I loathe Cara Delvine as an actress. I think she's terrible. She's been terrible in literally everything I've ever seen her in. Um I she from what I understand and this is all speculation, uh her father basically bought her into the modeling industry and then a subsequent film acting career, both her and her sister, uh, which, Hey, I know it happens. It's no big deal. Like good on her that her parents had the money to build her a successful acting career, I guess. Uh, but I, I think, I think it's pretty evident that she doesn't come from a place of like serious acting chops. Um, Yeah. And it, uh, it's it's fine like i said that's just my beef but you know uh she, she just doesn't
1: re- do anything mm-hmm. in this movie like i'm really surprised yeah. that such a role was given to a a character I, I don't know a character and, a, and, a, and an actor that doesn't do anything
0: yeah it just made so no the impression en- <laughs> the enchantress is a, a very powerful character in the dc universe it's been around for a long time mm-hmm. um but in this film, she's inhabiting a archaeologist, an archaeologist who apparently picks up ancient artifacts and then immediately breaks them on purpose um, as you do right I mean that's sort of not rule number one in the old archaeology code, but she becomes possessed by this ancient spirit known as the enchantress and and is really the only person of significant power on the team um uh, And again, we're being introduced to these characters as Amanda Waller is pitching to the military, or the government at least, that we need this team. And and these are the people that she's lining up to say, here's the group that we think we would use. And so the Enchantress is the only one that has any real supernatural ability at all, right? I mean, again, we're talking about Captain Boomerang. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: And so we're then introduced because she has it with her at the meal. I guess they're playing on the idea that the Enchantress is like a nuclear bomb, and so you kind of have the football with you at all times so she doesn't go off. But the way she's being controlled is by she has possession of the Enchantress's actual heart. And by damaging the heart, she can control the Enchantress. And then that's how we get our our Rick Flagg introduction. Who in the comics, Rick Flagg is like the good guy. He's the only good guy who is there to.
1: And in the movie, the movie makes a vast departure by making him suck
0: ass. He does suck. Um, (laughs) I I don't like Joel Kinnaman (laughs) either. I
1: really, Um, really enjoyed him in The Killing. I thought he was fantastic on that show.
0: Uh, Sure, because he was playing a smarmy, sweaty, kind of greasy dude, and he, apparently he can do that really well. But I, don't, I don't
1: I don't buy him as a hero or as an everyman.
0: The new uh, Suicide Squad handles him better. I liked him better in that film. But this film, I don't think, I, again, I imagine he's a character that there's a lot more really interesting stuff that was just left on the shopping room floor. Like, I cannot tell you how obvious it is that all of these scenes were filmed with the intent of them being played out as scenes. And instead, what happened is they've all been cut together in these little bite sized chunks and thrown into this single Amanda Waller speech because we are now 25 minutes into this film and it has just been Amanda Waller telling us about the characters. That's it. That's all that has happened. No plot, no understanding of what this team is going to do. Just here is a person at a table telling me about people. Right. <laughs> like, I don't even, I mean, I don't even want to get into the mechanics of show. Don't tell. Cause it's a film you can show, but that's, this is the closest to having like a student turn in an essay where they basically just told me about their trip to, you know, there's no movement. Like the film's not well, moving happening.
1: forward. It's just, it's just in this one place and we're learning about things that have already happened.
0: And so here is my biggest central problem. Well, we're, we're told that Rick flag and the enchantress are in love or he fell in love with Dr. June moon and by, you know, basically the enchantress at the same time, but very, very quickly. And we don't really understand it. And so then we get, ostensibly Amanda Waller comes to Belle Reeve to sell these people on being a part of her team. And then we don't see much of the negotiations and we really don't see most of them agreeing to be involved.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we never really see the end of that.
0: (laughs) Uh, Right. Like, again, I feel like these are scenes that were probably filmed where Amanda Waller is convincing these people, you have to do this or else, you know, you'll die. Now in the comics, the, the conceit is that if they, Choose to participate; they get ten years taken off their sentence. Like that's, and that's also thing. in
1: this movie. But it's just—it seemed like
0: blown right through,
1: right through.
0: And it's—it's it's just so strange because you know, flags going around. He's talking to Killer Croc. Um, you know, obviously the biggest negotiation sequence that we get is with Deadshot, and Deadshot demonstrates his ability, which I think is pointless because we already had a scene that demonstrated his ability. And then we simply get another scene where he demonstrates his ability. See, but now he's impressing Joel Kinnam. Right. And the, the whole point is just to show like I can shoot things really good,
1: really good.
0: And it's a cool scene, but we had the other scene and we don't need this one to do it again. But again, Will Smith, keep in mind, we have not seen Will Smith on screen for 20 minutes. In a movie where I have no doubt that he is top built. Such a strange set of choices. And then again, a little bit of life injected into the film. He points a gun at Ike Barinholtz, threatens to kill him. It's kind of funny. And it just, but it's in service of nothing. Like this scene doesn't need to be in the movie. Nothing needs to happen with it. So then I guess all the characters agree. That's when we get the weird scene with Joker where and he's I, surrounded by knives well, and the guy's the And telling I have a question Harley's about been captured. that scene.
1: Why and, were there yes. baby
0: clothes? I don't know.
1: Like, I just. I paused on that scene because I don't understand anything that's in it or why it's arranged that way. And I always question whenever you do, like, a big, very detailed, arranged scene like that. Mm-hmm. What is it for? Like. Yes. Are the baby clothes for a, a baby? Were you gonna have a Joker baby,
0: or um, or do you just a,
1: or did you murder a baby and well, steal its clothes? Well, it's one of the clothes? two options.
0: Either Harley Quinn, either they again in a movie that was supposed to be about Joker and Harley Quinn, which I suspect this was. Remember when Harley got captured by Batman? They were on date night,
2: uh-huh.
0: right? Right, they were on date night. I I think this was a movie where they it's exactly what they were going to do. That Joker and Harley Quinn were trying to have
1: a baby. Oh, I'm so glad that I didn't really happen. Did. That would have been so I, terrible. Again,
0: yes, that's a thing that should not be in any movie, but I think that's where this movie was going to go. And because like Joker is despondent that Harley has been captured, even though he's the one that left her behind in the car, right? Like that's kind of the other piece of this that sucks. He's the one that left her behind in the car knowing that she couldn't swim allowed Batman to catch her and now she's gone. So I, I, again, this is all supposition. I have no idea, but this movie is such a mess. I have to imagine at some point, somebody thought about the arranging and structuring of the scenes at one point in this process. Here's what I think is supposed to happen. Amanda Waller pitches the team says, I want to get these people. Then we see how those people all get captured, Right. We found them here. We got them here. We have them in our possession. We have these people captured. We give them their backstories at the same time. Harley Quinn gets taken from Joker as they're making this crucial decision, right? Because now when you think about the scene with Common, okay, because this is what what triggered me to this. When you think about the scene with Common, Common looks at Harley and says, she's a bad bitch, right? Sexualizes her and Joker fucking loses it. Like, oh, yeah, she's the fruit of my loins, key line. she's Or the fire in my loins, right? Nobody talks about loins unless you're talking about babies. Sorry, just doesn't happen. I think the reason, I think the common scene was supposed to come after we had understood that Harley and Joker were trying to take their relationship to another level. He sexualizes her. Joker's starting to think of her as a mother, and that's why he kills him. Because he is actually degrading her back down to a common woman or whatever the Joker might think. I don't know. But I, I really do think this movie was going to explore Harley and Joker having a much deeper relationship. I do. That's gross. And and it's just wrong. Like it's this just the wrongest take that you can... Like I it hate be. the
1: way the movie is, but I would have hated that
0: I mean, I, I feel fairly convicted about this at this point that, or I feel a lot of conviction that that's what they were going to do with these characters. And it's why Joker is so desperate to find her and get her out of that circumstance. I'm not going to say that she was supposed to be pregnant already. I think that maybe would go too far, although it's possible. But I, yeah, it's just well, it's such a weird choice. Just
1: because, in in the interest of playing devil's advocate, I'm going to go the opposite way and say the Joker murdered a baby and stole its clothes.
0: <laughs> I'm also fine with that too. But it is it's it's a really weird thing, and it's obviously something. Again, you don't you don't dress a set like that without purpose, right? Like one yeah. of my favorite examples of of like the type of things that go into a production designer's mind when they're dressing a room like this. If you go watch uh, green lantern with Ryan Reynolds and we've talked about this before, I think, but like, you know, if you look at the kid's room in there, there's like 17 Rubik's cubes. Cause <laughs> it's like, we need to make this look like a kid's room. Kids from any like angle. These. So, so any angle you shoot from there's a Rubik's cube in the shot so that you know, Oh, he's a kid. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you, they, even if it's dumb, they, they've done it with purpose. And this film feels like that's the, um, I also kind of thought once I started thinking about this, there were other things that popped out of me, but I almost thought that Joker had moved all the knives into the room to kind of like baby proof their apartment. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's why they were all in there. there is he's like, oh, we got to get this out of here for the baby. Uh, it's so dumb. It's just the stupidest choice. But I, I, you know, so we're going through all these negotiations, right? So they're setting up the team for something. And that team includes the enchantress. They go through it. They they get collected. They're flown into the city. I just I have issues with the timing of this film, OK? Because the team is being assembled. Amanda Waller is involved. And then they then the Enchantress escapes. Right. So that's kind of the big point. And I love the fact that the enchantress escapes off screen. We don't see it. It's communicated through radio broadcast to Amanda Waller that she has run away. But in essence, the enchantress escapes. She releases her brother, Incubus. I believe from his uh, his his prison or it's a similar jar. prison and and then he begins unleashing havoc then then flag with flag without the team without task force x goes in to the city to fight incubus and then enchantress escapes and hooks up with her brother and then they call task force x I don't understand this. So they didn't have a mission for task force X, but they just wanted to have them ready to go. And then one of the members of task force X goes rogue and becomes the person that they have to go after. But the mission that task force X has in the city is not to fight enchantress. It's to spoiler is to get Amanda Waller out. So how did Amanda Waller know that she would need a team to get her out of the city when, when one of the members of the team that she assembled goes rogue and creates the problem in the first place? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense.
1: It's, it's a movie that feels pointless as you're watching it happen, where you're just like, this, this was all for naught. And I will watch it play out now. Um, and that that's never a good sign when when your audience realizes or hopefully realizes that your plot has just sort of crapped its own pants.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's like Flag and, and Enchantress are just kind of hanging out in the city. And then Enchantress like escapes briefly, gets her brother out. But I mean, none of this starts happening until 45 minutes into the movie. I mean, we're 45 minutes into a two hour film before the quote unquote plot begins.
1: Yeah, I've already lost consciousness.
0: It's I don't know so what's going
1: bad. on anymore.
0: <laughs> it's so bad. um you know, they try to intersperse some action and stuff, but it's it's all just um uh now I will say one thing that i I've heard is that because you may notice if, if you've seen uh the Justice League the the League of Juice. Is that Incubus looks a lot like Steppenwolf. He's got like some big horns on his head. He's got kind of weird glowy armor stuff. And so the, the, the story that I have read is that originally it was supposed to be Steppenwolf. That Steppenwolf was supposed to be the villain of this film. Because technically he gets summoned at the end of Batman v Superman. That's what draws him to Earth. And then he was supposed to be the big bad here. But then when Batman v Superman tremendously underperformed, they didn't want to tie it to that movie anymore. So he became Incubus. And and now upon
1: reflection, that really couldn't have hurt.
0: (laughs) It wouldn't have. Yeah, it wouldn't have made any difference. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and so I think all of this was created after the fact. Like all of I think it was just supposed to be Steppenwolf fucking stuff up in the city. Like he it was his glowy light in the sky that was going to be causing problems, not the Enchantress's glowy light in the sky. And I think they just had to rebuild it at the last minute, which is why most of the Enchantress's scenes are lit differently and shot in like really nondescript locations. And it's It's just dumb. I get all of it's dumb. All of these things are stupid. It's I I think it's the last giant blue glowy light in the sky as villain in the superhero world, at least so far, Um, because at that point it becomes such a joke that people finally were like, this is kind of a dumb thing. You know, why are we all fighting giant blue glowy things? (laughs) Why can't we fight, you know, people and stuff? But yeah, I mean, it's. So the movie ostensibly begins at the 45 minute mark. But so, okay. Again, I, I just, I want to point out the timing of this. So Rick flag was with enchantress in whatever city Amanda Waller's. And I know they say which city it is. I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know where know in this city. is happening. There's no sense of geography America. whatsoever. Okay. So that means that Rick flag who was in the city where Amanda Waller is now trapped. He was there. With Enchantress, Enchantress escapes. But Rick Flag and his team are still there in the city. But Amanda Waller, to get out of the city, because there's so much danger, Rick Flag flies back to Belle Reeve, collects Task Force X, flies back to the city where Amanda Waller is being held with her express instructions to rescue high-ranking, high-value target, whatever. Why didn't Rick Flagg and his elite team of heroes just go ahead and extract her? Because when they get there, everything is worse because they've been gone for so long. This movie makes no sense. It needed to everything get worse. About it is dumb.
1: Everything needed to get worse. It had to be the worst it was going to be. So that they could go in and it, everything would suck.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it
1: feels like things are just being done for the sake of being
0: done. It's just bewildering. The choices that this movie makes again, it, it, you can just tell that it was chopped up after the fact they had scenes, they needed to do things and, and that's it. So, and then we get another set of character introductions, right? Because we get reintroduced to every character we've seen. Captain Boomerang like pops out of a bag and starts punching people. Harley Quinn changes clothes in front of all the boys and then goes. What was that weird? I don't. I don't know. Which is also just so gross. And then we get reintroduced to all our characters again, and and the core concept of what's going on. And then Slipknot arrives. And you know what Slipknot doesn't get? A cool title card with all his powers, all the cool shit he can do. Because who cares? Which tells you immediately, gonna guess what happened to to this dude? You're dead. You're the one member of the Suicide Squad that's going to die by the end of this. Uh, because we didn't bother introducing you. And it's just, it's such an obvious thing where like whatever trailer company built those little introduction sequences. They didn't film any of that for Slipknot. Because again, I'll bet you anything that this was supposed to be the first place where we really saw any of these characters interact with each other post the negotiation scenes in some kind of linear time and mm, it just, I don't know it doesn't work, none of it works nope. but we get a great needle drop for Seven Nation Army because we're building the army hate and it. Then we get, and then we get Slim Shady because hey, check me out look at me, this is who I am it's oh my god, dude. They're so bad. They're so so bad. Uh but yeah, so everybody, you know, gets their shit together. Captain Boomerang puts on his trench coat, I guess. It's just uh and then they all get on the plane and they fly to the city and then they immediately get shot down and everything goes to hell. But not before we get one more character introduction. And this has got to be one of the clunkiest character expositions I have ever seen put on film. The character walks into the plane. Rick Flagg points to her and says, this is Kachata. She's my right hand man. She's going to be with me every step of the way. And if you cause any problems, she's going to use her sword to cut your effing head off. And if you're concerned, I just want you to know that this sword also collects the souls of its victims. I, I I laughed so hard in the theater. It's like, wow, like this got to be a reshoot must be where they had moved Katana's introduction to much later in the film and they just had to have someone literally explain who she is and what she does. And then even though the character just told us absolutely everything we need to know about her while she's making her superhero pose at the end of the plane we still get a flashback where it shows her killing dudes and taking their souls into her sword.
1: It's so bad. Oh my um,
0: God. It's just,
1: and just what a, what a horrible treatment of that character.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Yeah.
1: So just why even bother? Why bother putting her in the movie?
0: Like she doesn't really serve a function. Again, as far as the I can pointlessness tell,
1: pointlessness is just it's ramping up at this point. It, it, it's heading to that toward that one hour mark, and you're just like, wow, oh. just all the decisions that are being made are are for nothing.
0: Right. We get a little conversation between Rick Flagg and Deadshot where they argue about the difference in their line of work. Right. Like you kill people, I kill people. What's the difference? And he's like, I don't take it for money. And, you know, it's fairly standard stuff, maybe part of a larger, more interesting conversation that doesn't, again, go anywhere. But then they're immediately shot down by something. Um, I don't know if it's ever explained who or what shot them down. It's just bullets um, that shoot them down. It's not like a magical super beam from the sky or anything. But so everything immediately goes to hell. Everybody nearly gets killed. And then they just start walking down city streets. And that is the next oh, 20 minutes or so of the film is them just walking around.
1: And nothing else. And,
0: and I, I, we get the we get the expression of, well, the whole thing is that they've got bombs implanted in their necks. This is another plot point that it, it's we're told what happens. It's dumb. But if they disobey, then they blow the bombs and blow their heads off. And so guess, guess who gets his head blown off? Is there, are there Slipknot? any questions?
2: It's, yeah,
0: it's definitely going to be Slipknot because, you know, we didn't need him in the film. I felt so bad in retrospect. I went back and watched like some cast interviews and stuff. And Adam Beach, the, the actor who played Slipknot, is there. He's a great actor. Like he's been around forever. Fantastic. Um, Native American actor. And I felt so bad because he's sitting on the stage like with the rest of the group. Like he's there, you know, he's Will Smith. Margot Robbie, Joel Kinnaman, and then there's Adam Beach. And I'm like, dude, you're in the movie for literally four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, how how terrible must it have felt to sit up there? And maybe he didn't know. I'm sure he shot more stuff than that, guaranteed. But after he had seen it at the premiere, I mean, did he just go like, wow, why did they even pay for me to go on all these press tours? I'm not even in well,
1: this. I'm so glad that they did easiest it money just, i've ever made
0: <laughs> but i guess they just had to maintain the illusion that he was going to be a significant character or something well yeah so all of these characters walk through the city seemingly without purpose with a bunch of other special forces guys so that means that you've got like all of these special forces dudes armed to the teeth weaponry etc and then you've got harley quinn with a bat yeah
1: which I don't really understand. I mean, they they spent so much time making her so very crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And building her up to be so unstable and so, so much of a loose cannon that I'm... I, at this point in the movie, they're trying to kind of flip back and try and make her cute. Mm-hmm. And it's not working
0: there's a lot of attempts to to sort of have her be cute. She goes through and she, what, well, she busts the window on a place and takes a person. She's like, "What? Well, we're bad guys. That's what we do. Right. Yeah. Which is fine line. I but, guess, you know, like whatever. So we get a big action sequence in the city uh, where they're fighting the putties and I don't even know, man, like there's some cool Deadshot stuff in it. There's some cool Harley Quinn fight stuff in it, but I just, I don't, what's the threat here? They're just charcoal people. Like, I don't even get what's going on. Uh, I guess we're shown because they do all these fighting. They fight all these things. And then we're shown after they fight them, what they are, which is people that have been like converted by, you know, by her stuff. And the, the whole point is that enchantress is trying to kidnap Rick flag because either she loves him or she hates him or she knows June loves him. And I, I don't, it's just, so weird i i don't know it's all pointless it's it's the worst kind of action when,
1: like the enchantress is really cheesy and weird like every scene with her is <laughs>
0: <laughs> we didn't love the belly dancing um you didn't no. feel like that was just like the best choice to express her magic and
1: then uh there's, her, a, you know. there's a bunch of scenes when they're close up on her face and she keeps pulling this bug eyes thing where she'll like widen her eyes really suddenly and it reminds me of when uh christina ricci would do that when she was wednesday adams <laughs> <laughs> so i just kept thinking she looked like wednesday adams this is just the um,
0: bug-eyed bug-eyed wednesday adams yeah I mean, when you let Will Smith go into full-on action mode, the dude is just a powerhouse. Yeah. Like I could watch I Will Smith, Smith; he's great. Shoot guns and flip and, and crack, and, like, stand rise. on top of cars. I mean, it's it's the Bad Boys Two situation where it's like, I this is a terrible movie. Like everything that's happening in it is ridiculous. Don't but- you
1: dare talk about Bad Boys. <laughs> the Ultimate Buddy like- Cop Franchise.
0: But it's so, I mean, it's, it's compelling because he's in it and that's exactly what's happening here. And I, there's just moments where I'm like, why don't you just let him do what he does? Why do you keep training him? him Let him ad
1: lib. I noticed there's a distinct lack of Will Smith ad libbing and being funny. And that's kind of how I know that this was meant to be a much more serious film Um, is that he's not funny.
2: Yes. And he's
1: a naturally funny person. So yep. I know he's, he's I know there had to be things where he's cracking wise somewhere, but it's just not in the movie.
0: So I mean all of this culminates in them going to a building, climbing the building, fighting more putties, and then they find Amanda Waller. And that's like a reveal that they're there to rescue her, which again the mechanics and timing of that is completely nonsensical, but whatever. So they're there to rescue her. They get her out. When they arrive, she murders everyone else who's alive in the room. For reasons.
2: Yeah.
0: They didn't they didn't have clearance to know what they now know. So why were they there in the first place? What was she doing? And that's another that's the other big question of this that I feel had an answer at some point in the film that she was in this city trying to do something, maybe like stop Steppenwolf, Mm. right? To stop some alien incursion that's on its way, which is, that's not the kind of thing you would necessarily call the suicide squad for, but it's something that would make more sense to call the suicide squad for than an unstoppable ancient being that is capable of rewriting reality with okay. their magic. Right? Like that feels like a thing that you would maybe call for. We've got these aliens here. They're things we can defeat that don't necessarily require superpowers perhaps. And then the situation gets out of control. Okay. I can kind of get that, but it's, it's just nonsensical, man. Like it just makes no sense. But so she kills them all, and then they they begin the process of extracting her out of the city, and it goes badly. And and then we're still getting flashbacks interspersed throughout about Harley and Joker, which, again, I feel like this was supposed to be a much larger component of the movie. The flashbacks are interspersed with very little reason to be there other than i'm sure they had the footage and they just wanted to get more joker in again at this point the second act of this movie we we talk a lot about how second acts of movies generally go wrong this movie i don't even know if i feel comfortable calling it a second act it is an amalgam of scenes with characters that we've been told her in the film arranged I, I'm not even sure if I feel comfortable calling it a movie. It's just it's just so bad.
1: Yeah, it's not even- Well it was at this point where mm. I wasn't really following like I said, I just wasn't really following what was going on. I kept asking myself, what are what are they doing now? Where where are we going now?
0: Where are we going? Are, what are we doing? What
1: movie is this? Whose story am I watching? Um and that's <laughs> Oh, And that ultimately kind of leads me to a big criticism that I had. And it was about this moment in the film where I realized I don't really understand who the main character is.
0: There isn't one. There really isn't.
1: And it's also not an ensemble cast. There Yo. is a main character that's supposed to be here. And it's, I just don't know which one it's supposed to be.
0: And I think, I think that's, my my current theory is that this was supposed to be a Harley and Joker film, but I I at this point I imagine Will Smith has contractual obligations for things like screen time and and placement in a film. Well, and I I
1: find it point. hard to believe that somebody hadn't pitched a Deadshot film already, just a yes. standalone Deadshot film because you could easily sell that. It's a oh, cool yeah, sure. character and people really like it. Um yes. So it almost feels like this was a few different ideas, maybe not scripts. I don't feel like this was ever different scripts that was married, but it feels like these are somebody's like, Hey, we have the, like somebody has a list of of things they've optioned for movies and they just lay it on the table. Like, can we combine any of these? (laughs) Like, here's (laughs) all of our DC movie options right now. What can we, just bring together, um, yes, and and it it was incredibly frustrating to realize that I I have no character to invest in, and because the movie wants me to invest in Harley Quinn, that's why it's showing me all those flashbacks, right?
0: I guess I don't know. She's the only one that's gotten an additional flashback post the uh, the introductions.
1: And what are so- those flashbacks telling me? That she loves yeah, she, the Joker? Because really like I knew that.
0: She really lo- no, she really loves the Joker. Like really loves the Joker. Like like I mean re- no. Yeah, it's it's I it's feel, bewildering. I
1: feel like I'm listening to someone tell me about their first boyfriend while they're in the second week of their relationship with their first boyfriend. Where it's like, no, you don't understand. He's like changed my life, okay.
0: Yeah. It's really opened my eyes to the possibilities of my life.
1: And like I said, that combined um, with the sort of daddy issues, oversexed nympho thing, it cheapens Harley's character so much.
0: I think the oversexed, you know, I, I think the the character the, of Harley Quinn that we get here, I think, would make a lot more sense because the you know the Harleen Quinzel, you know, with the blue blouse and the, the big glasses, but she's got glasses on, so we know past. she's smart. <laughs> but I think that feels like at some point in this script, that was supposed to be a very purposeful contrast yeah. that this is a person who either had something unlocked or something changed inside of her because of the Joker. And now we're supposed to see that progression, but because all of those are presented to us as flashback sequences, they lose their impact and we get no sense of progression from one you know version of this character to another and and it just kind of it it just diminishes everything everything in this film feels like a half measure they know what should be there they know the content that we probably want but they didn't shoot it and they didn't write it and they don't know what to do about it yeah because the film is done right like what else can we interject into here Well, we can do flashback sequences. We can get Margot Robbie back for four more days so we can do something else with her on this back lot or on this random, like, street. But, I mean, Deadshot's the only character outside of Harley that gets, like, a story. Like, really. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the only one that gets a story because he's got the daughter and he wants to make sure she's provided for. That's his whole reason for being involved in Task Force X. So it's... They're kind of the two main characters, just because they're the only ones that have consequences. But
1: then we also right? have a ridiculous amount of space given to Joel Kinnaman in this,
0: movie. and June June Moon, and June yes. Moon.
1: And I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get why we we spend so much time with those characters when they're clearly nothing.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's really just balance. Like you have to if you're going to try and sell this as an ensemble piece, you have to find balance and the film messes up that balance immediately. Again, we get three minutes of dead shot introduction. We get six of Harley, right? And then everybody else gets 30 seconds or 45 seconds. So the movie's making choices, very clear choices about who we should care about. And, you know, Harley's story, unfortunately gets neutered, right? Cause she gets another flashback in the, in the, um, In the skyscraper sequence, you know, she looks down in the stairwell, which, again, feels like a very obvious pickup shot. Like, oh, we'll have her look down the stairwell and then that will let us cut to this, I'm sure, very expensive scene we shot where she jumps into the acid bath at the Joker's behest to prove her love.
1: And And we do get we did get another flashback with Diablo.
0: That's true. Yes, we do see him with his wife and the, the night that sparked the accident.
1: But that was an hour and 36 minutes into the film.
0: <laughs> That's not that late to be re- revealing key character moments, I think.
1: Yeah. So like we we introduce him with him spelling out the words "bye" in. <clears throat> In flames with his hands, which was just I... the dumbest thing I've ever fucking seen <laughs> in my life. I paused the movie and and I I sincerely I was not sure that I would be able to move forward past that, but I did. <laughs> and then it waits this long to give him this kind of powerful tears in right. the eyes. Like I really liked that. I liked that moment <laughs> for the character. And it's like, wow, I would have liked to have seen more of him. <laughs>
0: right, like he he gets the emotional beat to set up his immediate sacrifice for the team, which is my other really yeah, really big problem yeah. in this movie is by the last thirty minutes of this movie, you've got a lot of characters saying, like, you guys are my family, I care about you. you're my friend why like, when what at what when did point? that happen, yeah and And you know, like when Diablo sacrifices himself to kill the you know big, stupid monster at the end, like he's like, "I gotta protect my family." And it's like, "Whoa, really? You guys have been together for four hours, five, yeah well and, and there you... there's
1: no ensemble, there's no montage sequence that unites mm-hmm. them, you know
0: <sighs> the closest thing we get is is them at the bar which is probably the, the my favorite scene in the film and
1: that's where we have diablo's flashback
0: that's where he gets his flashback exactly and, and it's the one moment where the characters actually just sit and talk and express thoughts and feelings and ideas and you
1: get to see a little bit of performance from everybody you know where they're not occasionally they're yeah. not being caricatures they're not being ridiculous they're just acting they're you know doing their lines <laughs> um but it's so late into the movie yeah i've already given it's, up
0: it's irredeemably late because we've spent so much time in this movie not caring about these characters that sitting and now trying to say that we're going to care about them is really really challenging and it's still my, like you said, it's still my favorite scene in the film. Uh, but that's like saying, you know, it's my favorite scene. This in-
1: is my favorite piece of poop in the toilet.
0: <laughs> that's right. It's the best one. It looks the best. It sounds the best. The best one I've ever best. done. <laughs> we do get, you know, again, you if you let Will Smith do what Will Smith does, your film is going to be elevated by it. And so, like, eventually the Joker, in the midst of, of rescuing Waller, he interferes and rescues Harley, right? So he shows up in a tux, as you do, and, uh, and flies away in a helicopter with her, dragging her along behind and then, you know, bringing her up into the, the, the vessel. Uh, Deadshot gets the opportunity to kill her, right? Waller commands him to, and then the guy who never misses, misses. And it's a nice moment. Like he just chooses to not kill her because he feels like they have developed some kind of you know rapport, but then once again, in the helicopter, uh they get shot down by unnamed forces <laughs> I, just, I I don't understand where where are these bad guys are coming from. I know that the enchantress is like dominating people and whatever. But do they then go fly helicopters really well and shoot down any other helicopters that are flying just as a matter of course? Like, I I just don't, I don't understand who the threat is here and where that threat is coming from. And and it's never made clear. It's, it's just so strange, but it's just the Joker goes down and dies. Quote, unquote. But Harley falls out of the helicopter and then is somehow able to just land on a rooftop and be cool. Which again... I guess we are kind of told that Waller's the one behind it after the fact. Which. Okay. I don't, I don't know. It feels to me like it would have been a much more impactful scene. Deadshot misses Waller's like, fine, you know, fuck you, whatever. Picks up the phone, cut to the Joker. Right. So like, we know that Waller is the one that's behind this. Even if we don't wanna if we even if we wanna hold the payoff until the end. But it in this case, like I'm watching the scene where the Joker is gonna go down and I'm just like, wait, what? Who did that? Why yeah. is that happening? What is and then I don't get my question answered until after the fact. And so many scenes in this movie do that, where shit's happening and we don't know why or what the context is, and then a character after the fact explains it. Yeah. And it's so annoying. It's such a terrible way to structure a film because it's not set up and payoff. It's just set up, set up, set up explanation. And if you're constantly having to explain to me what your movie is doing, you have messed up. Like seriously messed up. And then, so now uh, even though every helicopter that we've seen in this film so far has been shot down, Amanda Waller decides to leave on Helga. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just makes perfect sense. I'm like, are you afraid of vehicles? The cars? Or is there a train that you could hop on maybe? But she gets taken down by Incubus or one of Incubus's random vine arms that he can apparently generate when he feels <laughs> like it. Who knows? No one cares.
1: Yeah, that's and another then- thing. We never really learn the extent of Enchantress's powers, and so we never really get a baseline for what the Incubus's powers are either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can just do anything in any scene that the plot requires.
0: Right. They They can just, they have all the powers necessary to allow the plot to occur. So the team goes to try and find Amanda. She's already been kidnapped by Enchantress. Enchantress is holding her hostage. And then we get a we get a flashback of a scene that we've already seen recontextualize with additional information from Rick Flagg explaining how Chantress escaped and that it was basically his fault okay <sighs> so you're saying that she wouldn't have been able to escape if you hadn't let her okay Okay. W- which I-, I think the whole point is is that he could solve the problem if he would just kill his girlfriend Like I think that's what it's trying to do yeah is that you know he could he could fix all of this if he would just be okay with shooting his girlfriend in the face, <laughs> um, which I understand that's a complicated place to be, uh, but but he basically allows her to escape. There's the introduction of a, a bomb that they have to try and kill the brother maybe as a device.
2: Mm-hmm, okay. I, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean,
0: I thought you guys were supposed to be the ones who could take care of threats like this. I didn't realize that you were just the people asked to carry the bomb. <laughs> Like, kid, Don't you all have like cool powers and shit? Why do you need to just be the people who pre- deliver the bomb? But anyway, um, that's when we get the bar scene. Uh, we get a little bit more interaction. Like this is the kind of stuff that if I'm watching a suicide squad movie, this is the kind of stuff I want to see. The whole idea behind the suicide squad that makes it interesting is taking a bunch of characters who under normal circumstances would never have the opportunity to interact inside their own little worlds and then slamming them together and letting the drama be created by Captain Boomerang being like, I'm not going to listen to you. I think you're an idiot and then having that conversation. So we finally get that here. And, and it's the one scene in the film that feels like it actually still works. It's edited well it feels complete it feels like a whole scene not a piece that got carved out and then had exposition added around to explain we do get that nice flashback from el diablo where we see his family life his kids his wife you know the the life that he tried to carve out for them and then how he eventually you know fucked it all up basically and it it works like it works really well at establishing that character it would have been a great scene to have earlier in the film when we could actually develop when we could character over time (laughs) right Mm -hmm. but now i mean if honestly anybody who's still paying attention at an hour and 40 minutes into this movie bravo yeah like well done like you have passed the test you're a true fan for me with comic
1: book movies with modern comic book movies there is a point and it's usually the last 40 minutes of the film where when i see just like undulating cg light sources i know it's my my cue to just tap out like the rest <laughs> of the movie is meaningless you'll come back reconvene and stop daydreaming when the bad guy is down and you won't have missed anything <laughs> and you right. know that strategy works for me
0: it's it's a it's a solid plan with these films um it all comes together they go to the base of the blue light enchantress is there gyrating um weirdly and and then it becomes about uh them stopping you know all the the bad things and they go after incubus they can't really do much until diablo like fully transforms and, and this scene was admittedly cool I I could see David Ayer when writing this script having like a really clear idea of having this guy who we know he has flame powers. We know he's got he's strong, but then he turns into something truly out there being like a really interesting, cool reveal. Like I could totally see that. And and it kind of works. But as with most things in this film, it's ultimately rendered pointless. Because he can't kill him. Mm-hmm. And I just can't stand that shit, man. Like, I...
1: You're padding the so, runtime. I
0: mean, <laughs> or at least let the character have, like, a moment of success. There are tons of ways to have the rest of the team remain in peril.
2: Yeah. Right?
0: At least let the guy have that win because in in looking at what was happening between those two characters diablo was like putting a flaming hand through his chest like burning him from alive, alive from the inside but the thing that you're supposed to i'm supposed to believe kills him is a bomb under the floor sure like this bomb me, is different one of those sounds really worse than the other right and the bomb the bomb's big enough to just kill them and cause a localized problem right where they were standing but then the rest of the building is fine <laughs> and the rest of the building is fine the rest of the team is fine i just oh my god it's just it's so dumb and i'm sure that it's because of all these conflicting ideas they're trying to reconcile here and and you know, they have to get rid of the Steppenwolf guy because the final enchantress fight needs to happen, which again, feels dumb because like, what are these people supposed to do? And, and what they end up doing is the classic, it's me, you know, don't you remember me, baby? I love you. Like, it's all that yeah. stuff, of course, again. Uh... And, and then it's Harley Quinn throwing a gun to dead shot. That's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know, man. Harley Quinn throws a gun to Deadshot. Killer Croc throws some grenades towards Enchantress and Deadshot shoots him. And that's like the thing that ends the movie. I really don't. I don't get it. It's such a waste of so much potential.
1: It was just kind of baffling.
0: Yeah. This ending is nonsense. Like it is just straight nonsense. I can't even express how, what a waste this is. And it, it, I don't know. It's one of those things, these explosions are supposed to be so big that they're shattering reality. But at the same time, it's an explosion that as long as you just crouch and cover your face, you'll be fine. It, I don't know, man. Stuff like it. It's just a complete misunderstanding of what Suicide Squad is good for and how they're supposed to work. And uh, and like nothing bad happens. Like most everybody makes it. Diablo dies, which sucks. He dies stupidly. But then like Captain Boomerang lives. Like I was watching this be like, Of course Captain Boomerang's gonna die. Nope. Nope, he's fine. The guy the the, the Aussie thief with the boomerang is, is all good he survives this horrific
1: event. Well, you know, anytime we give someone a tragic backstory like we did with Diablo, we must kill them. Because people (laughs) who have difficult things that they have faced will always make great sacrifices later on in your film um, because those are your emotional touchstones. Like You need your audience to feel sad. So you'll just kill the guy they liked.
0: That's right. The guy that you built an emotional connection to, you want to murder him. Um, which is again is fine. The name is suicide squad. I expected more yeah, people to, die, to be honest. But then we get the cleanup, right? We have to show all, you know all these characters, they're still villains. They're still in prison, so it's not like their lives are gonna be awesome. But we do get to see Deadshot teaching his daughter geometry, which I thought was cute. I was like, okay, Deadshot would understand geometry. I like it. I like geometry myself, a bit of a geometry guy. Um, but it's like okay, sure. whatever. yep, definitely. That's the thing that would certainly happen. And then we go back to Bel Reeve and we get Harley's extraction from Bell Reeve uh Joker comes for her and he, you know He's walking around in a guard suit that has his name on it. Mm-hmm. Um So I thought that was Stupid Cute. <laughs> yes, I mean very on
1: brand for Joker, I'm you know, it's yeah, that was that was another one of those moments where I was like, "So is he Caesar Romero, or is he mm-hmm. Heath Ledger? Which one is yep. it?" Because this is He's
0: funny. Jim Carrey in the mask.
1: Yeah, like he- it's <laughs> just it's just so dumb.
0: Yeah,
2: he it's, he it's went really to dumb. the trouble
1: to get and because it, it doesn't just say Joker on the front of his vest; it says Joker on his helmet. It says it on mm-hmm. his arm. It mm-hmm. says it everywhere. So he went and got that all branded with his name to break her out of prison. And now suddenly the room with all the knives and baby clothes and grenades doesn't really seem all that weird (laughs) because it's like he's got money to burn and he seems like kind (laughs) of an idiot.
0: Totally. You can just go buy entire sections of, of, uh, you know, tactical gear and sneak into a high security prison with his own name on his body and no one.
1: that Either that, or just like the baby he murdered for its clothes, he found another <laughs> person named Joker who worked at the prison and stole his outfit.
0: <laughs> what a quinky name! <laughs> a man named Joker. I guess we do get to see that some of the prisoners are being treated better. Like Killer Croc's got music and and better food and a TV, and he's watching. It's like it looks like he's watching like Girls Gone Wild or something. I'm sure. I think it's a rap video, but um. But then Captain Boomerang doesn't. <laughs> get anything nice he's just left in his room by himself which is you know kind of sad but Harley gets like an espresso machine and and you know Deadshot gets to go visit his daughter periodically like you know their lives are better I don't know what the ending of this movie is supposed to communicate to me like it was just
1: it was it happened and then it was over
0: (laughs) yeah you've witnessed a movie the end you have you saw it. You gave us your money. Thank you. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. Uh, Yeah. This movie, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a mess of Epic proportions. And I really feel like it was one that was meant to sort of bridge the gap and do a bit of a rewrite of this universe to set up, you know, what would eventually be justice league. Like that's obviously what they were trying to do and, and sort of, get back to some of the fun because they want that Marvel money and that's what and if you're trying to decode the Marvel formula and you get it wrong which they definitely did this is the kind of movie that you get right where it's like oh well what makes people like these movies oh well they got jokes so we need lots of jokes um what else do they have well they have big blue lights in the sky they really like those they seem to think those are good villain characters to fight at the end of your movie so we'll put one of those in there um, you need a little bit of sexiness, right? You need a little bit of hotness. You need right? you a whole lot of heart. You get that scar, Joe. And then you need somebody to really root for and care about, right? You need somebody to have that emotional center. So we'll have it be the gangbanger guy who burns people alive, who accidentally burned his family when he got mad, and then we'll kill him at the end with a, with a giant well, blue Well, because he wants man. to be he with his
1: family, space. so we'll kill him and make him go be with
0: his family. That's right. Just, we'll, we'll give him what I just he wants.
1: feel like that's the kind of childish, lo- childish logic that this movie uses. Like, well, he would want to die.
0: Yeah, to be yeah with be fine with it. To be
1: with his family.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, that's how he's going to rejoin his family, just by dying. Yeah, so I mean, this <laughs> like, is a This film... is a
1: plot that was written by a ten-year-old. <laughs> yeah, he wants to die because he wants to go be with his wife. You know?
0: Yeah, he's real sad. That affected. He's real sad all the time. And you thought the Joker
1: was dead, but he's not dead!
0: eh, Nope. Nope. He's still alive. (laughs) This, Yeah, this is a, a film that you can tell, you can see the seams being stretched, right? This is one of the best examples. If you're interested in how a film can be conceptualized, executed, shot, and then completely ruined in editing when the actual just assembly of the images is put together, this is it. Because yeah. um, again, I'm not going to say that Iyer's original vision for this film was good. I, The scenes that he shot, many of them are not good. And most of the things happening in them are not. Yeah, this was
1: never going to be a good movie.
0: No, it was never going to be decent, but it would have, again, at least been coherent. I think yeah. having his singular vision, we could have at least understood why the choices he made, are the choices he made. Why is the baby outfit there on the floor? We will never know because the piece of the film that was meant to explain that, or at least help us understand it is gone. Extracted, right? No longer present scene, not appearing in this film. And, and that is what makes movies not work, right? That's when you watch a bad C or B tier movie That's why it doesn't work. Even B-tier movies get that kind of stuff right most of the time. When they don't work is when things have been lost, right? Like when we watched The Snowman. (laughs) That movie fails because it's not complete, right? The ideas that they set out to shoot and execute, the scenes that they wanted to have were not completed. And it doesn't matter how much histrionics you apply to it in the editing bay, you're not going to fix it. Yeah. And as a result, it's an incomprehensible mess. And to have a film of this size and this budget be in this state is unimaginable. Like I cannot even I, I can't even think how many people were fired <laughs> at Warner Brothers after this thing released. Cause it's just a nightmare. Now the danger here. And the unfortunate reality of what Warner Brothers did by giving these people the Snyder cut is that now we have people calling for the Ayer cut. Yeah. And this is a bad road. It's this just, an, it's not
1: road. a good precedent to set.
0: Nope. And I will I will be one to say I enjoyed the Snyder cut. I was surprised by it. Um, I don't, I do not think it is good. It's still not a good movie. Again, it's, but it is a film that is at the very least comprehensible, which the original Justice League strains. Um, and, and as a result, it's a more satisfying experience because at least the film makes sense, right? You can watch it and be like, oh, I, I understand what you're doing. Um, and I, I think, you know, the Air cut would probably just be the same thing, right? It's yeah. a film that's not good. It's not improved, right? Nothing about it is better, but it at least makes sense. And now the choices that were bewildering maybe now we have at least some understanding of where they came from. Um, but you're not going to save that Jared Leto performance. I really don't think so. Maybe. I mean, again, he's he's one of those guys that he's doing fine with what he was obviously given to do. But what we're shown on screen is so scattershot and so strange that I, I just it's hard to care about him as the Joker. Um, Snyder did try to redeem him a bit. He is in the, the Snyder cut of the Justice League at the end. Um, without the damaged tattoo on the forehead, they seem everybody seems pretty universal in removing that one. Mm. I I'm can't imagine with. why. Uh, several of Harley Quinn's tattoos have disappeared as well. They are not present in the new Suicide Squad, nor are they present in uh, the uh, Birds of Prey film as well. So they they toned down the the face tats on <laughs> the villains of the DC <laughs> universe, at least a little bit. Um, which you know, whatever. I. I I guess Uh, it's, it's a choice and that's really what this movie comes down to. They're all choices, very interesting choices, but in a film that has no lead character has no even set of central protagonists that feel coherent. It is really hard to care about anything that happens in this movie. New movie I watched not too long ago that, that actually sort of ties into this. Buckaroo Bonsai, Adventures Across the Eighth Dimension. Agreed. Um, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And it has similar problems to what Suicide Squad has. Uh, It's a very large cast, uh, surprisingly large cast, given the scale of the film. Uh, And the cast is awesome, right? It's Peter Weller, pre-RoboCop Peter Weller, mind you. Clancy Brown. Mm -hmm. Jeff Goldblum.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, oh, what was her name? Kim. Uh, no, it's not Kim. Ellen Barkin, like early Ellen Barkin. Um, but it's, it's a huge movie, big ensemble cast, huge ideas, lots of special effects. And even that movie is better with, I'm sure, no money and no support at establishing an ensemble of people who work well together, who in, enjoy time with each other, we get a little bit for each character. Every character has like their significant moment to uh, you know shine or or you know have something terrible happen to them. It's it's just it's how you write ensemble pieces and this movie feels like at its core it doesn't know what it wants to be. Is it an ensemble piece or is it a singular, you know, sort of character piece? And it can't have it both ways and it tries desperately to. I will say the new Suicide Squad kept the things from this movie that did work and then pretty much ejected everything else. It kept Viola Davis because she's a good Amanda Waller. I I have no issues with Viola Davis in this film. I hate that her character ends up being a nonsensical waste.
1: Yeah. But uh,
0: her as a character itself is fine.
1: It feels a little bit like she might have taken some Ambien before doing her scenes (laughs) because she just looks bored. But everyone in this movie looks bored.
0: Everybody looks bored. Everybody seems like they're on take 55 and nobody wants to be there anymore. Um, So it keeps Amanda Waller. It keeps Rick flag. It does better with Rick flag. Um, it keeps some of the cast from here, namely Harley Quinn, of course, you know, she's going to be a huge draw. So they're not going to kill her off or have anything bad happen. Captain boomerang does appear, but not in the way that you would think. Um, And then of course, you know, Will Smith's not going to come back. This was a train wreck. He knew it was a train wreck. He's not going to sign up for another one. So they they replace him with Idris Elba and his Bloodsport character, which is much better. It's a much better tonal fit for the movie. They make some jokes about it, it, it works. Um, but then it does what this movie was afraid to do, which is lean into the truly strange villains that are the hallmark of Suicide Squad, like Polka Dot Man.
1: And the hallmark of DC. Right? DC has some of yeah. the best weird villains.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what they were known for for a long time. Like Marvel villains are all like big, big bombastic aliens. And, you know, it, there's there's very little middle ground in the Marvel Universe where characters are like threatening, but not like world ending threats. I mean, they they exist. I, yes. But those aren't the ones that show up all the time. Right. <laughs> like, but in, in DC, I mean, they were so, it's you know, I mean, because it's like who's the Blue Beetle gonna fight? Yeah. Right? Like, well, he's gonna fight this researcher who, you know, I don't know, he, he fell into something that turned his arm into stone and he just punches things now. Like that's it. Yeah. That's the guy Blue Beetle can handle, right? It's just it's a very interesting approach and and the new Suicide Squad sort of leans into that in some some better ways. And then of course it has all of James Gunn's hallmark, you know, sort of funny jokes and and actually funny situations because that's the other thing. The situation that this suicide squad film presents is boring. It is literally people running down abandoned city streets for 40 minutes looking in various directions. Yeah. Interspersed with some, some black goo guys are going to jump out of the ceiling and we're going to shoot them. That's it. I mean, that is the action of this film. We don't get any cool stuff with any of the characters and whatever powers they may or may not have. Um, you know, Harley Quinn hits things with bats, and shoots things, Deadshot shoots things. Captain Boomerang doesn't, I think he throws a boomerang maybe twice in this. Yeah, we don't. He uses them, he uses them as knives most of the time. But
1: the point is, they're Boomer. Doesn't but matter how we recognize.
0: I I don't know, man. It's just it's a very interesting set of choices that unfortunately just don't work. Like just the film as a whole doesn't work.
1: Nothing about it.
0: There are there are moments in it that I'm sure people have glommed onto. From what I can, you know, from the reading I've done, the thing that have brought that have made people feel satisfied with this is the Joker Harley Quinn stuff. Which like, is a lot sad of people, people have terrible it, taste. Yeah, like I don't agree, but a lot of people really found that representation of their relationship very powerful. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and suggest that if you can, that you watch the new DC animated Harley Quinn show, which is phenomenal, and I'm I mean that wholeheartedly. All of that stuff that you've talked about of like really good Poison Ivy stories and Harley Quinn stories. Mm-hmm. That's what that show is. It's Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Harley Quinn is joke, broken up with the Joker, which technically happens in the Harley Quinn movie. Mm-hmm. And so she moves in with Poison Ivy. And, well, they break out of prison together first. But, well, Poison Ivy breaks Harley out of prison. Harley doesn't want to break out of prison because she's despondent about the Joker and Poison Ivy gets her out. And then they move in together and then they go on adventures together. And it's phenomenal. Tony Hale... um, Is in it. Uh, Ron Funches plays King Shark, which is wonderful. Um, Alan Tudyk has a huge role; he plays Clayface, and and they are going like full on. I am an actor, Clayface. Like he does monologues, it's wonderful. It's that show is if you were going to modernize Harley Quinn from the very sort of scant character that was built in the animated series this one really takes it in good places and it's, it's an R rated show. So it actually does have a pretty extreme violence. It's got uh, a lot of, you know, excellently written sort of dark humor. I'll give you an example. So Tony Hale plays, what's his name? The mind master. I think he's one of the telepathic villains and he's fighting wonder woman and wonder woman punches him. And this is all like being filmed on a cell phone and he calls her the C word. And it's and like all people, everybody's watching this on the news because it's Wonder Woman fighting a villain in the streets kind of thing. And the whole world just stops, (laughs) right? Like everything just goes like screech, like even Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are sitting on their couch watching on TV and they're like, oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) <laughs> and then and and then the whole thing becomes mind master trying to repair his villain reputation after he crossed the line of calling wonder woman the c-word on national television so like tries to go on a talk show afterwards to explain himself and ends up getting in a fight with the host and and saying terrible things again <laughs> it's it's great i mean it's just that kind of stuff and it's really good um so i mean like i think this movie i'm 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 glad it exists because it it brought that character to a new group of people. Not necessarily people with the greatest of taste, as you said, but it brought that character to the forefront. And Margot Robbie is is a great person to be attached to that character because Margot Robbie is a great actress. She really is. She's very, very good. And, and I think having somebody who is trying to do that character justice. Is is paying off now. This is not it. This, this is like, okay, we got you in the door. You kind of did some cool things, but the birds of prey film and the new suicide squad have done a lot to sort of, you know, I think build the character in a better way to where I think moving forward, Harley Quinn will probably be a pretty important character in whatever DC is trying to do. And, and I'm fine with that because they've moved her away from the things that I think annoyed you a lot in this film, which is that whole, like, you know, sexy, crazy. Yeah combo. It's still, it's still there a little bit in birds of prey, but not really like it. It's sort of where she might start, but then she very much moves past it. And then it's, it's really not a part of the new suicide squad at all. Um, Kind of a little in one sequence, but the way they pay it off, I think makes, has it make more sense. Um, But anyway, so I guess final thoughts on the suicide squad. I think it's pretty clear from our discussion that neither of us really like this film, Uh, I think I'm a bit more tolerant of it than than you, but that's probably just because I've made myself watch it a bunch of times. So I kind of just know what I'm in for. (laughs) Uh, But it's truly a train wreck. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, it's hard to put a score on it. I mean, this is basically worthless. Like, I don't see any value in watching Suicide Squad, uh, especially given that the new one exists and it's much better in. Pretty much every way.
1: I I feel the same way. I mean I was kind of engineered not to like this movie because I just don't like the situation that creates it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um I feel like, you know, even if the movie was made and it came out the way that it was originally intended, I still don't think I would I would be having any sort of good time. Um, but this as it stands, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, no, it it fails to function as a film. That is its problem. It is a bad movie. Um, And not even in that, it's one of those movies that was like trying to be bad. It's just bad. It's poorly executed. It's terribly edited. Nigh incomprehensible. And then really leaves you with nothing to hold on to and say like, that was really cool. Yeah. Again, if you if you found yourself getting invested in the Joker Harley stuff, then that may be enough. And it's really in terms of runtime, it's the, the story that gets the most runtime by far. Um, so I could kind of see somebody walking away from this and thinking that this version of the movie is a Joker Harley Quinn story. I think the original conceptualization of this film, it was a Joker and Harley Quinn story at its core. But then somebody got cold feet about putting Harley Quinn and Joker as the central characters and then tried to rewrite it to put Deadshot into it more and then just kind of fell apart from there. And the results are obvious. Like I mean I the film is the film. I don't think you need to see anything else. I don't blame David Ayer necessarily, although I think he's He's tried to distance himself and maybe say, oh, it's, it wasn't my fault. You know, the studio did it. And and maybe that's true. They've studios have screwed up projects like this in the past. We've, we've certainly seen it again. At one point, we'll talk about Fant4Stick um, and and the train wreck that that movie is as well. But. Again, it's it's weird to see studios fail on this kind of scale, and, and it absolutely fails here. Yeah. The other question I had for you right before we leave uh, is. Why do the credits of this film take place in front of a field of stars?
1: I don't you know. you notice that? Did you notice that? I did. I don't yeah, know. Uh,
0: I've, it's, that has kept me up at night. I'll be honest. I fell asleep one night thinking, why does Suicide Squad's credits end over a field of stars instead of just a black screen? It, it's one of those things. Again, movies are just choices. They're a series of ever more complicated choices to try and and translate, um, translate things to screen. And I, I, but it's one of those choices that I'm like, why is this? Why are that we, choice? Why are we in space? Are did we go to space?
1: Was someone sui- from space?
0: Did Suicide Squad take place in space? And I just wasn't aware. Well, the you see,
1: the vague threat was that we want to be protected from space. That's why the suicide squad got together, but then they didn't have to protect us from space. They had to protect us from the witch. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, the enchantress. Oh, I'm sorry, her brother.
0: You see, again, it would make sense to have a field of stars if they were fighting a steppenwolf. Right? Again, dude, like. This is the movie. If you ever want to see what it means to change things late in the game, this is what can happen. Like, it's just, it's so strange. Oh my God. Uh, okay. So we'll wrap up our thoughts on suicide squad. This movie's bad. Uh, you can certainly watch it if you want to. It's got DC characters in it. You can watch them doing stuff if you want. And that's, that's pretty
1: cool. But you probably shouldn't want it- that. And you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs>
0: Yeah. At this point, if you want to watch a Suicide Squad movie and not be bewildered, then you have another option. And I would encourage you to pursue that option because the James Gunn Suicide Squad, at the very least, is fun, legitimately funny, has an interesting story, like all of the things that you want movies to have. It has them. It's still not necessarily great. Like, I don't think it's a great film, But it is it is miles better than this, like no question. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, uh, no, there's there's not much redeeming value here. Uh, This is not a failure piece, according to our our (laughs) very strict standards. Uh, This is just a failure, like a hardcore failure. But at the end of the day, it's still a DC movie, fairly high budgeted. People, some people are going to love it. And, and I am unfortunately not one of those people.
1: I feel sorry for those people. <laughs> Go
0: outside. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Find other things to love. There's so much other stuff in the world to really love. You don't have to just hang your hat on this one. You really don't. Um, all right. Well, I guess that'll wrap up our extended discussion of Suicide Squad, and that may lead us into uh, some other DC films. I'm kind of interested to get your read on a few more. I actively uh, avoid them, so I, there will I be know, a fresh I'm, take on everything. I'm using this podcast as, as a way to bludgeon the DC universe <laughs> into you and make you suffer. I'm willing have to
1: have opinions about these things.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't it's sort of like the console wars or the Marvel versus DC wars back in the day. Like I don't care about the competing universes. I just want good movies and I want movies that more importantly do some kind of justice to these in some cases, iconic characters. Right. So, because really these movies are extensions of stories that have been told and are being told. And I I want them to exist and. And basically help make those stories continue and movies like suicide squad don't do that they're hard stops where people watch them and go like what was the point of that and that's what makes me sad because yeah. i don't want to see these types of stories not be told because i think there's a place for them it's it's our modern myth making right i mean we're just this is this is our our chance to tell a new story of prometheus right like the the new way to look at the world and, uh, and contextualize what we are as people and to see one fail so badly at that and it's it's disheartening but i i know that it's possible to do a good job and and i'm not going to say that marvel is is doing better i think they're resonating with more people but that's because a lot of their ideas are just much more simple um and much more straightforward and i appreciate that the dc films are trying at the very least to deal with more complex topics and many of them are
1: it's just not succeeding. But,
0: but what what is super ironic to me is that in my head, and I could be totally wrong here, but when I was growing up, DC always seemed like they were the ones that had, I'm not going to say simpler stories, but like they're, the characters in DC are so larger than life that they ended up telling more straightforward they stories. They had very and simple Marvel-
1: icons, like the, the DC, you know, heroes represent very simple ideals and very sort of straightforward character development that doesn't have a lot of twists and turns in the path. Batman, I think, was the first one where they really took it in directions other than that, but that wasn't until the 80s
0: yeah that was a much it was a late vehicle to sort of make Batman a complicated character he wasn't a complicated he had a complicated backstory but Batman the character was very simple yeah. throughout the silver and golden ages of comics it wasn't until like you said the 80s and really Alan Moore yeah and Frank Miller that turned Batman into this sort of force of nature character that we see now but I mean like Marvel was always the one that had the more complicated plots with time and travel it and shit <laughs> Yeah, and now that's all reversed. Yeah, you know, like all of that's flipped. Where Marvel's telling, you know, not simpler stories, but more accessible stories, and DC's trying to go in this more complicated, gray world. We don't know what's good. We don't know what's bad, kind of way. And it's it's just a weird flip because it seems like DC would be more suited for like the lighthearted stuff, but not even necessarily all that works because they tried that in Justice League with Whedon's cut, and it sort of fails too. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where. Uh, Warner Brothers moves next they seem interested in just sort of dumping the whole Enterprise off on somebody else and uh, letting them solve the problem so we'll see where that goes well all right. I guess that'll close us out for Suicide Squad Uh, well if any DC fanboys want to find you on the internet and let you know just how wrong you are and how Suicide Squad is actually one of the greatest films of our modern generation where can they find
1: you? Oh please come and find me on Twitter at Baskinator
0: uh, of course, you can find me at T Baskin. And if you want to get us together, we're at F Peace Theater on Twitter or failure at gmail.com. Well, we will be back soon enough with more discussions of film and cinematic failures from the past and whether or not they are worth your time. Suicide Squad, not so hmm. much unless you just really want to see a man with tattoos all over his face and the biggest diamond grills you've ever seen. And you do Choose scenery you do. and punch a girl in the face. But if that's what you're into, Suicide Squad has it for
1: you. (laughs) For those select few.
0: (laughs) Everybody's got their thing. (laughs) Uh, But in any case, we will see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.